Hello and welcome to Media May, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most have our lives. I am your host, the negotiator, General Rod Lloyd, and I am joined by... The handsome one, Jess. Yeah, 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 that's it. No no explanations, I'm the handsome one. You're a negotiator, I'm the handsome one. Keep going. It's been a while (laughs) since we've recorded a new episode, but here we are. Uh, If you're new to the show, well, Jess and I do, we talk movies, music, and TV year by year. We are... In a new year, starting up 2005. It was a year, I think. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're talking movies today. So Jess and I have looked at a list of every movie released in the year 2005. And we've decided which one each of us had seen the most in our lives. Front to, you know, front to, front to back. Start to finish. Yep. And I did not have a lot of choices. No. Uh, I was watching, a, I think it was Film Stack did a video on YouTube recently about the worst years in film. 2005 was like, was one of their options. Mm-hmm. So um, I had lots of movies I watched from this year. So are you saying I like bad movies? Maybe. But are you? I don't know. At least like for <laughs> me, it, was, it wasn't it was a lot of movies that I wanted to go back and rewatch. Mm. Yeah. I mean, some of the movies on my list is like, I watched it once, but watching a movie once is a lot for me. It takes me a lot to watch a movie. So this isn't like, again, this isn't like our favorites from the year or anything like that. This is the movies we just so happen to have seen the most. Yes. The ones that most invaded our life. That's the gimmick. Mm -hmm. But before we talk movies, uh, it's a new year in Media Made. So I ask, where were you in the year 2005? I was. On MySpace? Absolutely. I was never on MySpace. I wasn't on MySpace. I I wasn't in 2005 either. I I was resistant. Yeah. Every everyone was on MySpace in 2005 and I was like, "No. No, I will not. I uh didn't have a solo computer. I was uh ju- junior for most of this year or a sophomore. I don't know. One of them. I I was either a junior or a sophomore. I can't maths. Um and yeah. I don't have very much memory. <laughs> I I was I was uh down the way down the freeways a little bit. That's where I was. Okay. I transitioned from the 7th to the 8th grade, so I am in middle school. Middle school is always rough, so... that's Yeah, middle school is the worst. Middle school is the worst. Elementary is pretty bad, but middle school is the worst. Yeah. I had to have been... If you were transitioning, then I must have been a junior. If, going into 8th grade, you yeah, you must have been going into junior. Yeah, Sophomore yeah, yeah. and junior. Yeah. Yeah. Good lord, the age gaps. They and, mean nothing at our age, but back then... And I'm pretty sure around this time, I we got... Uh, DSL internet, right? Is that DS? Is DSL quick internet? We got speed, like speedy internet. Speedy internet. internet? We still were on that di- that dial-up game, baby. Oh wow. Ugh. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason I didn't have MySpace. No, I, I remember like being huge into flash cartoons when we still had dial-up, and it would take like 30 minutes to load a flash cartoon. Mm-hmm. Sometimes and I was like, this is the worst. It it was. So we got high-speed internet, and I was like, I could watch a cart. I could load up a cartoon in like a like you know in like. 10 seconds, less than 10 seconds. It's like seconds, just completely loaded. Yep. It's a good time. Yeah. I would not, anytime people are like, oh, would you take a time machine? No. There is either no internet or worse internet. Why would I do this? (laughs) To go to a library for information? I think not. I do enjoy the library, but I join them for fiction, not for information. Yeah, there you go. What do you say? We jump into a movie? Yeah, let's get this over with. Interestingly, uh, we have a both our movies have a similar they they occupy the same genre right so it's like a genre of, of 
battle here. Yeah. Mono a mono. And travel, because nobody stays on the same planet. A couple of them do. This movie has the least amount of travel of all of my, of this saga. That's fair. Anyway, so yeah, we we're actually going to, we, we, I think it's like maybe the first time ever where we've had two movies from the same genre go head to head with each other. In yeah. Video made. Or at least for a while. We had, I think, two animated. That's fair. I, I'm, I'm sure we've had two like romance, because we've compared the romance and different things, but they weren't necessarily fully that. And we aren't necessarily. We, we did uh, Attack of the Clones and Made in Manhattan. Yeah, it's like circumstance, romance circumstantial yeah. romance. And yeah. 87 was, uh, oh, no, no, it was 88. 88 had uh, Oliver and Company and Roger Rabbit. So oh, it was yeah. like animation station. And, uh, oh, and Thumbelina versus Lion King. Oh, dang it. I was about to say what I'm hearing is when we go head to head, I win. That's the only one I didn't win. No. It was, I won a, all the rest of them. That was a mercy killing. <laughs> Thumbelina is great. So I stand by this. Once again, at the end of the show, we could like really determine who had the best sci-fi movie of 2005 even. Sci-fi. We're going to start with my movie. Premiering <laughs> May 15th, 2005. Written and directed by Jorge Lucas. <laughs> Starring Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Ian McDermott, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Frank Oz, and Hayden Christensen. That is Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Hello there. General Kenobi! You are a bold one. <laughs> you would use that clip. We... It's the only line I know from any of these movies other than sand, sand, sand in my pants. Why is that a, a, a quote you know? General Kenobi! <laughs> That's yeah, it. Why? Why is it? <laughs> because of a meme. <laughs> because of a meme on TikTok or, or Instagram or something. I showed you, right? Yeah, well, explain it to the kids. Oh, um, so it's just like boys being boys. And there's just a guy who's, what is his name? General Grievous. And he like pretends to be Obi-Wan. And then it goes to another guy. And he's it's, like, it's Obi-Wan, like a kid pretend to be Obi-Wan. He goes, hello there. Yeah. And then... Grievous goes, General Kenobi, but it's one guy who grabs another guy who like jumps on his back and is wiggling his arms so he has four arms. It's just, it's just it's funny. very silly. It's so silly. If I can find it, I'll have it posted, but yeah, I we'll don't know it. if I can find it. Yeah, so just quotes that constantly. Specifically that, nothing else. It is my Luke, I am your father. And I don't even think that's proper uh, how that is pronounced. General Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, this is the third and final film of the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Woo! Is this our first prequel on the show? Yes, and our last, hopefully. I'm like, is it? Is it our th first? Yeah, I think it is our first threequel. Yes. Um, and we've talked all three. Mm -hmm. We talked. Don't worry, we'll get to Shrek two, Shrek three, Shrek oh, four. No. <laughs> no, we've passed Shrek two, I think. Um. <laughs> We talked Phantom Menace in 99, we talked Attack of the Clones in 2002, and here we are in 2005, three years later, with Revenge of the Sith. We did it, y'all. Yay! Yay. The best of the three. W widely accepted to be true. The top of the trash doesn't mean I'm going to pick it out. <laughs> you wouldn't eat like a, just a, kind of a grubby cupcake on the top of the heap of trash? It hasn't trash. touched anything else. It's still in its wrapper. It's just sitting on top of all <laughs> the other broken eggs. No! <laughs> No, 
Sorry, George. George? <laughs> Sorry, George Lucas. <laughs> Goodness. All right. So um, I, I can, sh- I mean, I've, I've talked about my history with Star Wars and all these Star Wars shows, but I could share, share a little bit about like the lead up to this movie. Um, I remember like by two, like, so again, I, this was like end of seventh grade. And I, I remember this week, you know, because I was actually very, very excited to see Revenge mm-hmm. of the Sith. That's why you should. You were a child in their movie for children. Like early 2005, um, the like Attack of the Clones had a really big marketing push. And there were a lot of tie in like the cartoon we talked about, it's the Clone Wars cartoon mm-hmm. in uh, 2003 TV. The original nerd homework. <laughs> it was good, though. Like <laughs> that was airing. Every Star Wars video game covered the Clone Wars, uh, Star Wars Battlefront, I think. Um, I think it, can't, I, it was 2004 or five, but like, you know, so there were still Star Wars things coming out, but it had slowed down. Mm-hmm. And I remember at probably sometime either early 2005 or late 2004, um, the Star, War, Star Wars is starting to fade out of the zeitgeist a little bit, at least for me and my friends. It's like we would reference Star Wars and stuff, but uh, it just wasn't big anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it was big in 2002, three where we were playing all the video games yeah. based on the Clone Wars and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and then it, this is going to sound so stupid. I remember at home, I'm watching TV and it is an episode of Family Guy. Okay. I'm watching an episode of Family Guy late at night. Um, and somehow for so, this, this very Family Guy joke at the very end of the show, uh, Peter Griffin and people receive medals for a job well done. Mm-hmm. And it's just a recreation of the f- the final sh- uh, scene in, in the original Star Wars movie, <laughs> A New Hope, okay. where, where Luke, Han Solo, and Chewbacca get medals. Mm-hmm. Well, che- Chewie doesn't get a medal. Mm-mm. But, it's, you know, it, it's and they just like shot for shot recreate that scene in Family Guy with the music and everything. Okay. It was intensely like it was a very Family Guy thing where it's like. What's the joke? There is no joke. It's just a reference. Uh-huh. But I, I'm watching. I thought it was like, oh, that's funny mm-hmm. because it, it's Star Wars. And they played the music. And then the the credits of that Family Guy episode was the, the classic Star Wars credits music. And like, I was just like, yeah, I like Star Wars, man. Mm-hmm. When's that new Star Wars movie coming out? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for Star Wars. And, and I think at that point, like I, I started to like. I probably bought the DVDs at that point, mm-hmm. and I was like, I was getting ready. I was getting myself hyped for the new Star Wars movie to come out, and then here it is in May 2005, and I was like so excited to go and see it. I was talking to my freaking middle school teachers about it. Oh, <laughs> cute. And it's like, so cute. You gonna go see Star Wars, uh, Mr. Man? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Name Redacted? You know, stuff like that, and then as I did... with uh, attack of the clones i saw revenge of the sith on opening day goodness my my two cousins uh who by this point had to have been in college oh uh they took me a middle schooler to go see revenge of the sith at the midnight showing that's what older family members are for so yeah i remember seeing the movie you know midnight release first day and there you go Nice. Did you enjoy it? I, I liked it when I saw it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Again, you were an eighth grader and these are children's movies. Yeah. <laughs> That's not like a dressing down. It's just what it is. You're it was, allowed to like what you like. It was the darkest Star Wars movie up to that point. You yeah. know, so it was kind of it was you interesting. You mean because the lighting? Huh? Because <laughs> all the scenes were like. I, at lit. the time, I was like, oh, yeah, Anakin's turned into the dark side. It was very impactful. Yeah. Did you see this movie? 
before? Absolutely. I, I saw this movie when I got married. Okay. So you've never <laughs> seen this before? No, I don't like Star Wars. <laughs> it's not like, it's just like of the space epics that I am drawn to, it's not this one. I'm not saying it's bad because I haven't seen them. Well, I'm saying the ones that I have seen, I don't enjoy. <laughs> but, eh. Uh, yeah, so I just don't have that much history with it. My, my, I, I'm pretty sure. I think I said this in one of our other ones. Um, for either episode one or episode two, um, my dad and mom went to see it, and I was very not interested. But Madagascar was out, and my sisters were interested in that. So this I, was, it was this year. I think. Okay. Yeah, Madagascar came out in 2005. Yeah. Then I was, um, I was in the theater. Because my dad really wanted to see this. And so my mom went with him because as good wives, we we uh, join our husbands in things that we are not the most excited about, um, as they should do for us as well. And uh, as I was just a child, I babysat my sisters while watching Madagascar, another movie that would be uh, that is in my runners up because of the amount of times I had to watch it. But it will never be featured on this show. Um, hate that freaking movie. Uh, yeah. Worst year in film, ladies and gents. Huh? Worst year in film. Gosh, it's so bad. It's so bad. I'm glad that the one that we are talking about for me came out this year because it would have been Madagascar. Oh, no. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I've, I definitely heard references and, um, like I, there's no way you could escape the, like, you are the chosen one. It's just what people scream all the time. So like, I'm like, oh, I know that's from a Star Wars movie, but I don't think I actually watched it ever until we were doing going through our movies for the first time here you were the chosen one it was said that you would destroy this and not join them bring balance to the force not, not live in the darkness <laughs> i have no reason to play that anywhere else this is the end of the movie so why the heck not is <laughs> Is that why you asked me? Because you knew I'd say that. No, I just have the memes. I got all the meme lines. There's so many. We should, just have a, we should just have a meme corner. Give an excuse. No. <laughs> That's just Mufasa falling off a rock. <laughs> uh, I, wait, long live the king. No. <laughs> That's so upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> um did your dad like it i can't remember i think he did uh no i think he was like uh, oh. i guess but i can't remember he didn't really i'm sure he had conversations about it at this point i didn't care <laughs> at this point we've been like you know just just beaten down by these films so it was just yeah. like you know yeah it was like you know that movie it was not as bad as all the other ones we could just accept it it was fine how old was i in 2005 uh, 14? No, 16. Yeah, we... I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, my dad wasn't talking to me at that point. I was 16. <laughs> um, yeah, it's at least the end of it, and there were no more Star Wars movies ever after that, so... Not for 10 years. <laughs> Except for one backdoor pilot. We'll talk about that later. Okay, I was backdoor? Yeah, let's, uh, I could talk about how this movie was made. All right. Yeah, I've got backstory on episode three. Attack of, Revenge of the Sith. Give it. Revenge of the Sith. But even the name is interesting. Do you know why? Because Sith is not a real word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Revenge of the Sith is a callback to the original title of Return of the Jedi. Oh. It, like, all the way up to almost like the premiere of 
Star Wars Episode Six. It was to be called Revenge of the Jedi. Oh. But Lucas, late in the game, determined, eh, Luke doesn't really get revenge in this movie. It's like, that's not his point. Mm. He's a redeemer. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, it's Return of the Jedi. Ah. So when it came time to do this movie, Revenge of the Sith makes sense. That makes sense. As we talked about in our 2002 movies episode, filmmaker George Lucas was two movies deep in his Star Wars prequel trilogy. Were they good? They were something. <laughs> Which one was better? I cannot remember either one. There was little baby Anakin in Phantom Menace. And oh, there I was... totally forgot there was a small Anakin. It, they literally one thing in my head. And then there was the fallen love story in Attack of the Clones. One had better clothes. Which one? The first one, but okay. it was also the worst. That was the only good thing I could say about that one. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember any good things I said about the second one. I like the Obi-Wan uh, mystery plot. Yes, you do. <laughs> In the Coliseum scene. Yes, you do. And the big, long-necked giraffe aliens. <laughs> and as we talked about in our 2003 TV episode, Lucas was utilizing the vast Star Wars multimedia machine to bridge the narrative gap between the second film, Attack of the Clones, and the upcoming third film titled Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we talked about the Star Wars Clone Wars TV show, which like actually like bridged the gap narratively. Like it mm-hmm. presented you. This movie starts, uh, Revenge of the Sith starts uh, in the action. You know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker are on a mission to rescue the Palp, uh, to rescue uh, Chancellor Palpatine, right, who had been kidnapped, the Palps, and the cartoon de- uh, showed you how he was kidnapped because the movie doesn't. Ah, uh, how was he kidnapped? Uh, General Grievous like broke into his office and stole him. <laughs> General Grievous said, "Hey, boss, let's go." That's the thing. Like you, this movie and the cartoon do not make it clear whether or not General Grievous knows that Palpatine is Darth Sidious, the bad guy. He, he, we're not. We're, it's not clear. Does Grievous know that this is part of the plan or not? He seems like a smart fellow. This is one of the problems. General uh, Darth Sidious's plan is too complex. He's playing 40 chess. This is true, but we can't talk about his stupid, complicated, nonsense plan yet. We're in history. Got it. <laughs> We're never going to get through it if we don't. Lucas began working on the screenplay for episode three and consulting with concept artists before Attack of the Clones was even released. Oh. Over a period of months, Lucas would approve hundreds of designs that would eventually appear in the film. He would later rewrite entire scenes and action sequences to correspond to certain designs that he had chosen. So the artists were like, hey, here's a here's all of our like concept art for General Grievous. And they're all different. Hmm. George, which one do you like the best? And I, I this is in like uh, the making of like featurettes on the DVD. Like George Lucas just looking at concept art of like 20 different designs for General Grievous. You like, oh, I like that one there, you know? And, you know, he picks one of General Grievous with like eight arms. Oh, and then they're like, you know, the concept artist is like, okay, so we chose he chose the one where General Grievous has eight arms. Great. Uh, Action people. Let's put it. You know, let's do previs on an action scene where General Grievous is fighting with eight lightsabers in his arms. So, you know, like it wasn't really thought out until the designs were chosen. Yeah. Those concepts were then sent to the pre visualization department, which develops storyboard animatics. And then to the production department to begin building sets, props, and costumes. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like they didn't even really utilize like traditional storyboards anymore, like mm-hmm. drawn. It was like they used the computer to create previs. Like, and this was. I mean, yeah. This movie was a 
revolutionary film as far as visual effects go. You mm-hmm. know, like I think they were still developing the uh, the process for creating an, an effects heavy film mm-hmm. with computers. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think mm, both. Are, yeah, there was a lot of stuff <laughs> during this time of like, hey, here's a new thing that we can use. This is interesting. You know, using a lot of technology to figure out what the right way to utilize all the yeah. the tools that we have. This this probably would have benefited traditional storyboarding. But it, you know, it's it's it laid the groundwork for like what's now an industry standard. Yeah. It's like most people put together previs sequences for especially action. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes those previs they get, you know, they shine them up a little bit and they release them in the final film. Like Black Panther. Hey. Black Panther's a great movie, but the action sequences were unfinished. Not all of them, but the big one at the end, yes. Yeah. <laughs> a little a little filmmaker that no one liked called Steven Spielberg, <laughs> was even brought in as a guest director and consultant for the film's climax and other sequences. So, oh. So Steven Spielberg directed part of this movie. Mm, I, I could I could see at the end that there is, well, it was far too long, but like the last conversation felt more emotive than a lot of things in this movie. So if uh, the Berg had something to do with that. The Berg. <laughs> Principal photography for the film occurred from June 30th to September 17th, 2003. Though the final scene of the film taking place on Tatooine, the desert planet, Mm -hmm. was shot in 2000 during production of episode two. Oh. But then it was subsequently shot again on a soundstage years later. So I was like, oh, at first I was like, George, forward thinking. Good job. You know, you knew that you were going to film the final scene of the movie of uh, baby Luke Skywalker being held. And looking over the, you know, the sunset. So we'll film it while we're here in Tunisia. And then they just did it it anyway on a soundstage. Because it looked better than everything else because it was real. Or what? Yeah. Just kidding. No. Additional photography took place in England from August 2004 to January 2005. Following the completion of principal photography, Lucas decided to rewrite the film's story to better focus on Anakin Skywalker's turn to the dark side. He rewrote the film after they filmed it by editing the principal footage and filming new scenes during pickups in 2004. Lucas emphasized Anakin's desire to save Padme from death over several other factors that he initially planned to contribute to Anakin's turn. Um, I would quit. I can I really, I wonder if it's out there. I'd like to read the initial screenplay and see how he handled it. Yeah, definitely see if you can find it. I think that this is interesting in the the thing that most like physical artists say, like painters and things like that, like you you just have to step away. Like you will always like come back two months and be like, crap, I wish I had done this, this and this. But like you will never finish a painting with that mindset mm-hmm. of like getting it to perfection and the idea that it was like, okay, but what if we like, it's done, it's done, it's done. Who's to say it was better? No this, offense, George. You you have some stuff, but like, that sucks. This is the man that changed 1977 Star Wars uh, often, so much so to he he changed it like months before he handed it off to Disney. Like he added new things to it. He he never stops. Yeah. George Lucas is like the grandma who tried to save that Renaissance painting of Jesus. 
Oh, yeah. By painting over it. Yeah. And he keeps, it's just like George kept painting over it to the point where it looked ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Renaissance Jesus. The post-production department on Revenge of the Sith, handled by Industrial Light and Magic, began work during filming and continued until weeks before the film released. Is that what ILM stands for? Uh-huh. Huh. Industrial Light and Magic. Okay. Lucas started that. Cool. I just thought it was uh, I, Lucas, M. Like I don't I, know. It's like IBM, no. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith has 2,151 shots that use special effects, a world record at the time of the film's release. That's is, a lot. It has since been like overshadowed like many, 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 things. many times. You know, whereas like Avatar where all the shots are <laughs> visual effects. All of them. And many of the Avengers movies as yeah, well. Exactly. Like, That's what I'm saying. Like this movie really did like it's like the first I, I would maybe even uh, Attack of the Clones, but like those two movies are like the first of the new Hollywood era, you know, mm. like they these are like the first modern films. Yeah. Where it's like every everything's filmed on a green screen with digital, you know, color. You, you do the color grading and everything after the fact. That's true. Yeah. We talked about this in March 2005, two months before the film's release. The third season of Star Wars Clone Wars aired on Cartoon Network. The events of that season directly set up the action in Revenge of the Sith's first act and introduced the antagonist, General Grievous. Who? General Grievous. Thank you. (laughs) Charity premieres of Revenge of the Sith took place in Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Boston, Denver, Atlanta, San Francisco, and Miami on Thursday, May 12th, 2005, and then again on May 13th, 2005. The official premiere was the 2005 Cannes Film Festival, out of competition on May 16th. The film was released theatrically on May 19th to coincide with the anniversary of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace's release date. Hmm. Here's something that I don't think happened with the other Star Wars movie. A copy of the film leaked onto peer-to-peer file-sharing sites uh, <laughs> just hours after the opening in theaters. Oh, wow. Bootleg was on it. Yeah, but apparently it was like it was some guy who worked on post production. So it was mm. like an employee of some uh like effects company mm. stole the movie and was prosecuted. Yeah. Yeah. Eight oh eight people. Eight people were later charged with copyright infringement and distributing material illegally. What is what is the sentence on that? Oh, I don't know. Me neither. It better be more than possession of marijuana though. If I tell you this, you won't you wouldn't you wouldn't download a car. I would. These guys should know. Here's the thing. With with the, the smart cars we have out there, you probably could download a car. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the whole, like, that yeah. was like the campaign. It was yeah. like, don't steal movies. You, you can't download a car. You yeah. shouldn't download a movie. It's not that. You wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't da-da-da. Don't download movies or rip music. It's still stealing. Piracy is pirates. Yeah. I'm the captain now. Look at me. That's all I got. That's Revenge of the Sith. Oh. Yeah, now we can talk about the movie. Oh. <laughs> but I, I can get everyone up to speed on uh, on the movie. So this me, boat is going too fast. So let, me, let me read to you the opening crawl to, to Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> War! The Republic is crumbling. Under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord, Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. Stop it right now. (laughs) In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader, General Grievous, (laughs) has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader 
of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and evil is about, and we must save the Chancellor. Like, that that, that crawl is, like, really weird. Yeah. There are heroes on board. There are heroes on both sides. Please name Evil is one. Everywhere. Please name one hero on on both sides. I yeah. I was like, what hero is on the the, the trade federation side or the separatists? Not a single one. What, what about the fishman who survived all the way to this point? No, he's a hero on our side, on the good side. No, no, not Squidman. <laughs> the 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 fishman who was uh, oh. Who was <laughs> Viceroy Gunray? Yeah, yeah. He uh, just was trying to help his people. Oh no, no, he's no hero. Oh. That guy's a coward. Well, cowards can be heroes. <laughs> yeah, not a single hero on the Separatists. Why did you say that, George? Why did you say that, George? <sighs> That's like the action. We, you know, we we the movie starts there. Mm-hmm. Uh, two Jedi Knights are on their way to save the Chancellor, who had been kidnapped by the evil General Grievous. Yeah, we start in a firefight in this episode. Yeah. Uh, and we can meet our heroes. Let's meet our heroes, and I'll talk a little bit about which, it. But. On which side? <laughs> well, you, you pick. <laughs> um, R2 PPO. I don't, th- I don't think I have a clip with R2D2. That's fair. Who's his owner? Um, Anakin Skywalker. The Chancellor's signal is coming from right there. The observation platform at the top of that spire. I sense Count Dooku. I sense a trap. Next move? Spring the trap. That is Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jedi Knights, on this mission. One of them is a Jedi Knight. The other one is a gumshoe. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we see them in a firefight, and they're um, trying trying to go in and save the other hero who is on this side, Je- Palpatine. Uh, he's he's hey he's, hey he, as he, far as the, we're concerned at this point in the movie he's a hero and he's on our side he's the he, he's the evil that's everywhere um <laughs> uh, before we even get into more plot stuff um i want to talk about how good like of all this movie's faults and there are many and we'll talk about a lot of them none of those faults relate to the special effects which still hold up really well today true this is one of the best looking movies like from 2005. Yeah. It, it, it ILM, they pulled off a very good looking movie with yeah. special effects. Like, so the movie starts and it's like this big space battle in the orbit of, of Coruscant, the, the city planet, mm-hmm. the capital. And there are ships everywhere. Uh, and it, they basically simulate a one shot, you know, a single shot uh, of like a camera flying through the space uh, battle. And you see like, Obi-Wan and, and Anakin's ship, like, you know, weaving in and out of danger. Mm-hmm. And you see explosions and debris going everywhere. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I think it's also really good because, like, they had time, right? Like They had time Ge- and money. Time and money. And George was like, no, we will take the time. I want this to look so freaking cool, which pays off. Like, as much as he's, like, kind of washy. And um, making changes and stuff, he definitely gives time to the artists that in a lot of current movies we don't see. 
because it's not about the art or the idea or the creation, whether it's changing or not. It's about the money. It's really it's interesting watching this movie now in 2023 when like a a, a slew of movies have come out in the last year even Mm -hmm. that have really bad special effects. And it's because visual artists aren't given the time and money to get their stuff done. Yeah. So you get movies like The Flash, which look ridiculous. It's true. I and I think like you even even that like if sometimes people are like, well, it was different because they had to take the time because they didn't know what they were doing. They're figuring it all out. But I think about like which we haven't seen Avatar, Waterworld, whatever it's called. But even the things that his time, huh? He had the time. No, yeah, yeah, and that's the thing because uh, the James Cameron, Cameron, thank you. Um, obviously when he makes movies, they are a project of love for him. And like, we were all told Avatar 2 was going to be coming out a decade ago. And he's like, it's coming out when, when I'm done. good and ready. <laughs> when I am satisfied with this water effect, being able to fool some guys on a couch. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I think like that's the thing that we, we truly lose uh, that like of all the wonders that ILM and, um, uh, George Lucas have given us in this kind of thing. Like there's so much amazing things that can be done with it, but people who are in charge of things don't necessarily say, we'll give you the time and the money. Yeah. But when it is given, we, we get amazing things. So we got to, we got to praise the movie for that. You know, we're going to dump on this movie for a long time. Oh, so much dump bottom of the trash can, but (laughs) praise to these special effects, which are, which are in your face from the, Second, the movie starts. Yes, they are the cupcake on top of the trash that's sitting on a plate, but we're still a little wary. <laughs> like um, that special effects shot had so much going on that, um, like the joke was, "Oh, we threw in everything but the kitchen sink with this." Mm-hmm. So some three D animator, anim- uh, he he modeled a a kitchen sink <laughs> and, and put it in to yeah. the movie as like a little thing that flew across the screen and like crashed into another ship. Yeah. So if you like look very closely, you can literally see a kitchen sink flying yeah. through space yeah, and like, hitting a ship. We put everything in, even the kitchen sink. So there's a lot of flashy action and mm-hmm. it's a uh, certain uh, media critics have pointed this out, but it does create a weird dissonance between the action scenes of this movie mm-hmm. and the talking scenes. Yeah where the action scenes are like bombastic and dynamic and the camera could just kind of go anywhere. But all the, all the, we'll talk about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. All the talking scenes, very flat. Yeah. Stage like. Yeah. It, uh, you saying that for some reason makes me think like it's very reminiscent of the, a move over from silent films to talkies where they were trying to figure it out. Where like in silent films, it's all about action and big movements and stuff. And then, we put words on a page so you can figure out what's actually happening. And then when you moved over, the talking was so flat and weird and voices were weird uh, as they were being captured, but all of the movements were still really animated and stuff. And it's that like kind of same disconnect. Yeah. Lucas. Ha- yeah. I think maybe like when you give the artist this much power, you know, it's like, and, and Lucas is not a, I don't know. Like, it's like, he's not a very good director. So it's like, he, It seems to me like this movie feels like he just handed. He's like, here's what I want in the the fight. You know, it's like, hey, there's going to be an action scene. And Obi-Wan is going to chase General Grievous, who's riding like a motorbike. And and, uh, Obi-Wan's going to be riding a giant lizard. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just just animate that chase scene. Do whatever you want. Make it flashy and fun. Yeah. And the animators are like, sure. 
Yeah. And so they just did it. So it's like they're their own directors. Mm-hmm. And Lucas is like, oh, it's great. Yeah. Well, Lucas, on the other hand, is like shooting like talking scenes on a soundstage and it's just sitting there, you know, like, yeah, just, just, you know, just, you know, walk from here to there and, and, and the halfway words. through, uh, just stop and turn around. Mm-hmm. I got two cameras on you. So, be, you know, we'll cover everything. Oh, goodness. I think, yeah. I think in that way, it makes some stuff feel kind of vignette because it is multiple different styles that are kind of like cohesed together with Elmer's glue. Sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We can meet more characters now, I guess. I just just wanted to, you know. Yeah. We need to praise the special effects. Yeah. Who else is there? The good, the good on all sides or the evil everywhere? Yeah, there's. There are, apparently there's both, so what do you want to talk about now? We're going to talk about the one that is both. Palpaline. Good, Anakin, good. <laughs> Kill him. Kill him now. I shouldn't. Do it. did it murder yeah, so uh, so long christopher lee you were in this movie for like five seconds <laughs> and you didn't do anything because you clearly weren't the one doing the fighting yeah <laughs> like hi my face is here i'm getting paid bye <laughs> uh yeah so that's uh our good our, our main guy our main bad guy he, he could also be the main look he was playing both sides so whatever one he was going to be on top so he was the good on both sides. Okay. Um, and uh, he has a lot to do. We also have uh, Padme in this movie for some scenes. You're so beautiful. It's only because I'm so in love. No. <laughs> no, it's because I'm so in love with you. Ugh. So love has blinded you? <laughs> Well, that's not exactly what I meant. Who wrote this crap? <laughs> I think I thought this when we were watching it the last time, too. That laugh is very, like, Tommy was so. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> um, And then I know that we usually sit here and talk, but I was like, there's so few characters that actually do stuff in here. We've got Yoda <laughs> yeah. and Samuel L. Yeah, we'll talk about them later. Yeah, but there's, like, like mainly all that really matter in this is the Pelps, the Anakin, the Obi-Wan, and tangentially the the Kira Knightley. Padme. Padme. She's not Natalie Kira Portman. <laughs> yeah, well, we uh Kira Knightley, she's not in any of these movies. She's only She's in the first only one. in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. She was pirating it up by this point. Sure. You wouldn't steal a car. <laughs> but you would steal I don't know, a the, boat you would and some the money. F- you, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to, I mean, we could, I mean that, that last clip, I think is a good transition point. Let's talk about George Lucas's di- writing and direction. Do it. His greatest sin. <laughs> so rude, but factual. George Lucas, I've said this before, should not have directed these movies. Yeah. It should have been someone else. Yeah. I, like even as we were talking, I was like, "Why didn't he just move to cartoons and animation? That's really clearly what he enjoys, know. and he's not bad at it." It's what he tried to do. 
uh, in 2008. We'll talk about it. Okay. Tried doesn't mean it doesn't sound like he succeeded. Well, yeah. it depends on who you ask. <laughs> this is like the dialogue, the the writing, it, it, even hearing you at the beginning saying he rewrote a bunch of stuff and did a bunch of pickups. It was like ugh. it probably wasn't wonderful before he made the changes, but like this is what he thought was better. Yeah. <laughs> He was like, we really need to harp on the fact that Anakin loves his wife and is scared to see her die. Why Why is he afraid for her to die? Be because he had a dream about it? You die in childbirth. And the baby? I don't know. It was only a dream. I won't let this one become real. This baby will change our lives. I doubt the Queen will continue to allow me to serve in the Senate. And if the Council discovers you're the father, you'll be expelled. I, I know, I know. Do you think Obi-Wan might be able to help us? We don't need his help. Our baby is a blessing. It's going to stop her from dying. Because she's preggers, by the way. Right. And he has a premonition that she's going to die at childbirth. And she's his secret Senate wife. Yes. Um, so real quick, just plot question or world question. The queen won't let her stay a senator. When she was queen, she was also senator. But being the queen doesn't mean you have to be. No, the senator. she was never a senator while she was queen. OK, so she was queen in the first movie. And then later, another queen took over and, and then she, she became was, a senator. OK, then who was senator when she was queen? A, a Palpatine. Oh, he's from Tatooine. No, or, or, or uh, 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 whatever world, water well, well, world. Why, why, uh, uh, Naboo, 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 Naboo. Ah, <laughs> yeah, he was Chancellor Pal. No, he, before he was Chancellor Palpatine, he was Senator Palpatine. Got it. From okay, Naboo. I pay attention, guys. I don't. Um. All right. Cool. So he's real worried because everything he touches dies. <laughs> And the force gave him um, a fever dream about his wife dying in childbirth. So that's he's like his one stop thing. Stop it! And he feels powerless. Yes. Here's here's what well, mm, my question is. Again, I I'm not gonna pick in the way that I would at some stuff, but like the reason I don't think hard about this is because it's kids' movies, and also I'm just going to just tear it down because in a world where in a world where a man can be burned by lava almost to death and yet live, there's a chance of people dying in childbirth. Yes. Okay. Two things about she's, that. But that's the thing. She she's given up the will to live. <laughs> we learn. <sighs> she wants to die. At that point, it's because of fault. where he went with his actions. But here's here's the thing. One, you're worried about this, but you're in, you're in a world where that shouldn't be possible, sir. So chill. <laughs> or two, just like we do in this world, women's health is actually not studied because it's about the men and what they create. And they just kind of like don't care, which is why childbirth death is still so high. Um, and all of that sucks. And I don't think he meant to write that. No. <laughs> I don't think that's George. It's because it's 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 not thought out. I think George doesn't think things through. And we'll talk like I want to like kind of like dwell on Anakin's like fall from grace and how 
how George like laid all that out a little bit later, Mm -hmm. you know, but that is one of the symptoms. It's like George didn't sit down, maybe even like talk to other people who are like story people, you know, it's like just like talk things through, like talk through like the inconsistencies or the contradictions. Right. You know, it's like, hey, map this out, you know, because you you sent me a podcast of, of individuals like talking things through. Yeah. You know. Yes. Well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, I think that this being the fo- like, I really want to know what the other factors originally were for him turning to the dark side, right? Like, because that's that's what this is, right? All of this is the like, the reason why Anakin has to go for power because he wants to have power over death itself, right? Um, I want to know what the other things were it's like because disillusion with the government with with the, the senate and the and, and the jedi order literally we could have just leaned on how how obviously fascist this character has been throughout all of the yes. movies like it wouldn't have been a hard sell <laughs> just on that alone this is like the the most we get honestly sometimes i wonder what's happening to the jedi order i think this war is destroying the principles of the republic Have you ever considered that we may be on the wrong side? What do you mean? What if the democracy we thought we were serving no longer exists? And the Republic has become the very evil we've been fighting to destroy? I don't believe that. And you're sounding like a separatist. This war represents a failure to listen. Now you're closer to the Chancellor than anyone. Please, ask him to stop the fighting and let diplomacy resume. Don't ask me to do that. That's like it. Yeah. Whereas like in the movie before this, it was like, I will make them listen to me and I'll kill anyone who does it. Like <laughs> we're, why did you marry this man? That, <laughs> that's, that's very much. Yeah. I can't stand the second one, the second movie more than anything else, because this big bad boss lady is doing so much stupid stuff. Why are you having children with this man? Anakin, did you ever think about maybe we're on the wrong side? Now you're sounding like a separatist. You're like sounding like one of the terrorists. No, I never thought of it. Look at goodness, 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 goodness. Yeah, very... It would have made more sense to me, like, if we're talking about writing, right? It would have, like, leaning in on that thing that was very obviously there. Like, he's always looking out for himself first more than anything else. Even when he was a kid and he was like, wait, what about my mom? It's fine. Okay. Like, and, um, oh, I want to learn to be bigger and stronger so that I can, like, yeah, go back for my mom or do whatever. Like, it's all been, like, very him-centric. It would have made way more sense for this to really, as she got more and more pregnant, that this is really something that they're butting heads on. And she, as the intelligent, smart senator lady... Okay, look. Not all senators are smart and intelligent. So fine. Okay, I get it. But as this woman who led a country, again, not all leaders are... As this character, as we hope, (laughs) to be much more intelligent than she is, really starts to be like, my husband is a red pillar. (laughs) He's deep down the pipeline at this point. This is a maniverse, dude. I really got it. And then, like, that's where his break went. Because I was, like, the only grip that he had to this, like... The fragile tenuous, like, yeah, I'll fight for the good, I guess, because um, I want to keep this lady in my... And if she was, like, a hard no, and, like, was like, no, and then from there he went to the dark side, and from there, like, he was then the actual reason she died. 
which is more or less what they kind of allude to. Oh, my broken heart and stuff. But like that would have made more sense with the characters that we've been shown than what we have. I mean, you're, you're basically getting into a conversation I was going to hold off on, but screw it. Let's just do it now. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. How do we like how well did George Lucas handle uh, the, the, the fall of Anakin Skywalker to the dark side of the force? As how well. he became Darth Vader. Uh, how well did he handle that? And how do we fix it? <laughs> he handled it as well as Timmy falling down a well and Noah Lassie being around to save him. <laughs> and you, you're touching on like plenty of reasons why it, it failed. Yeah. Like, like it didn't work. Yeah. Because it just doesn't feel natural. None of it does. None of it makes any sense. At all. And so even with that, I want to like stop because we, I asked at the beginning, I'm like, I don't want to stop. But I asked at the beginning, like, oh, did you like it? It's like, yeah, I liked it. It was like impactful. His turn to the dark side and everything. Because as a child, it's like, oh, wow. But like the the jump from that, like, can you remember? Can you like, because you're really good at remembering how you felt and did stuff like that. Whereas I know nothing. Um, hindsight is disappeared for me. Like, why it was so impactful the way it was presented to you. There's one scene in the movie that I think is really effective in the vibes it gives you. Like, it, it has a very sinister edge that's very un-Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Like, very creepy and unsettling. Mm -hmm. And that is a scene when, okay, uh, background. Uh, Anakin Skywalker is put in charge. He's like the, the he's appointed like security detail for the Chancellor. Because the Chancellor's like... You're the only Jedi I trust. Can you, uh, like, I want you to be a Jedi. I want you on the Jedi Council, and I want you to be my security detail, basically. Quick pause. Anakin on security detail always gets way too involved with the people he's securing. You may continue. Correct. <laughs> so Anakin is basically there uh, with the Chancellor at an opera. It's like the space opera. <laughs> yes. Know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> like a space ballet with, like, <laughs> the giant. With uh, balls and. And, and swimmy things. It's like a giant, yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's like the opera of conception. Yes. Up, up there. <laughs> You're watching little, little swimmers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that scene's really creepy because it's just Anakin sitting next to the Chancellor and Chancellor basically low-key telling him, hey, I'm a Sith Lord, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, the Sith are actually good and the, the Jedi are evil. And, and I, I'll play a few clips from that because I think, again, this is the most effective. And remember being a kid thinking that was really creepy. That mm -hmm. was an unsettling scene. So it like emotionally hit me. Right. When, it, you know, maybe we'll we'll have different just thoughts just listening to the dialogue. Without the added visual effect. Let's do it. Remember back to your early teachings. All who gain power are afraid to lose it. Even the Jedi. The Jedi use their power for good. Good is a point of view, Anakin. The Sith and the Jedi are similar in almost every way, including their quest for greater power. The Sith rely on their passion for their strength. They think inwards only about themselves. And the Jedi don't. Banana, banana. <laughs> <laughs> So got him. <laughs> I think um, even listening to it, actually listening to it even more, I can see why it probably held a lot as a kid. Uh, because Palpatine is a great trained actor. The theater of this is wonderful. It, Ian McDermott is the best performance in this freaking movie. 
He's he was born to play Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> he does it so well, and I think that that is like it, I think the creepy of it because even especially not watching it and having like hearing the gravitas in his voice and how he is like slowly saying these words, how he is putting emphasis where it it needs to be, and then hearing Anakin go, "The Jedi are good." <laughs> <laughs> He's the power to help others. <laughs> it's it's like very easy to see like, oh, this is a, an old manipulative man. And this is a very confused, mm, evil leaning child. And like how it could be very plausible that he could talk himself around to this. Yeah. And the music's doing a lot to just kind of make you feel unsettled. So again, John Williams carrying the emotional like pulse of this movie. Yeah. I think that I wish there were more moments like this with that really had this kind. If we had more moments of this with Palpatine actively, not necessarily fully talking around, because we do see them together, but not to the extent of seeing him like, oh, yeah, no, talking a good talk and slowly slipping in the like, the Sith reframe and stuff like that to see the turn so that when you're having that conversation with Padme being like, no, the, the emperor is right. He's saying stuff that I agree with and that makes sense to me. And yeah. now he's starting to talk about power and these different, Oh, we switched that, but this is right. But this is right. You've been doing what my itching ears have been telling me all the time. And I have the force. I have, I have um, an extra power on my side that claims that my right is correct, you know? And, playing on that a lot more if this had if this scene had happened like a movie sooner yeah it's like it, it kind of sucks that that's this is like the the you know this is the pivot point where the movie sits you know it's mm -hmm. like I, I wish you know we need more you're right we need more scenes like this yeah yeah and you saying that this should be in a movie before especially in the like i'm courting padme and i'm saying fascist things and she's like what are you doing child while having an even older adult being like nah you're right and that 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 senator woman is also a child compared to me so listen to my grown adult stuff and then moving into here yeah. it's like he went full like he went full fascist like before he even had anyone like to kind of introduce it to him so yeah like, like you know uh, people brought this up it's like anakin's presented as a bad egg from the start in these movies mm -hmm. you know you don't see like an ideological young man you know who's like who is a good heart yeah right like they keep saying oh palpatine trusts you palpatine is with like we don't see just why maybe it's in the clone stuff maybe like it's okay so that's the you don't thing you don't need like it's the thing like you can't rely on outside media to like inform a movie you're watching yeah and, and my thing is, right, like, if I'm going by just the movies alone, I'm like, he was with Qui-Gon, uh, Qui-Gon, <laughs> Qui-Gon Tequila, <laughs> and, and Obi, <laughs> leave me alone, I'm not a Star Wars fan, he's some kind of alcohol, um, <laughs> and, and Obi, and, um, they are more, uh, like, leftist facing i don't know what the sides are here they're just monks they're, they're just monks That's they're just it. they're monks and if it's like i was a slave and my mother was a slave and i got i like lived to be scrappy maybe i stole from my boss a little bit so that we can eat i fought and beat a kid almost to death after a pod race whatever um but oh i'm raised by monks so like that bit of street thug is still with you, but you we don't spent, see it. but you spent you don't see it at all but you spend most of your time with these monks who are training you 
And we don't see anything else until you're suddenly talking fascist views with a, a girl 50 and, and, years older than you. And ta- talking back to your boss. Right? Like, yeah. and yeah, okay, you're a teenager. It happens and it's gonna, whatever. But we don't really see it. We don't really see it. And we're just told that he's close to Palpatine and then seen him throwing in, into stuff. And we hear him say fascist ridiculous stuff but we nobody really follows up on it and we are told he's powerful but you know like so these things that is just kind of like they do massive disservice to the story and the epic you're trying to tell it makes it way less epic way less epic i think you're touching on an important point it's like for george lucas's writing he tells you what's going on. He doesn't show you. And that's like the biggest sin of a screenplay. It's like, yeah, I need to be shown, not told. Yeah. Like, this is like the worst example of it for me. Something's happening. I'm not the Jedi I should be. I want more. <laughs> and I know I shouldn't. You expect too much of yourself. I found a way to save you. Save me? From my nightmares. Is that what's bothering you? I won't lose you, Padme. I'm not gonna die in childbirth, Annie. I promise you. No, I promise you. I want more, but I know I shouldn't. Like, you didn't have to say it out loud. Yeah. Just, like, present it, you know? Like, present a man who, like, fears to lose the power and control he has. Yeah. You know? Like... You can present that visually and with with scenes, with yeah. actions. And I think even in that, right, like, I want to be able, like, we can pull where it should be. The idea, like you're saying, a man afraid to use, lose power. I can as, With the conversation we just had being like, he was absolutely powerless and he's clawed his way up here and he's working with Jedi leadership, not just like being a child amongst a bunch of Jedi, like... He has power and control over his life in a way that for the first part of his life, he absolutely didn't, you know? And so I would like to be able to actually see that, right? But then also because we don't, we aren't shown and we just have to go off what is said, Anakin is just incredibly childish. Like even in this movie, I'm like, is he 15? (laughs) Like, are you 15? Yeah, he's, he's like, his growth is stunted in this movie. Yeah. And it makes it so difficult to be able to, like, as an adult, right, like, sit here and be like, I can believe. That a grown man would fall to this. Yeah. Like, I can believe this this turn. Um, or I can believe that nobody saw it coming. You know, uh, everyone should have saw this coming. Yeah, that's you, my biggest you, you problem. Want, no, you want something like here's here's Anakin early in the movie. He's had his premonition about um, about Padme dying in mm-hmm. childbirth. And so he goes to see Yoda to like freaking Yoda. He, he goes to Yoda to seek guidance and advice. And this is how it plays out. Premonitions, premonitions, hmm. these visions you have. They're of pain, suffering, death. Yourself you speak of, or someone you know? Someone. Close to you? Yes. Careful you must be when sensing the future, Anakin. The fear of loss is a path to the dark side. 
like Anakin's sitting there. He's clearly disturbed. <laughs> like Yoda, this man needs help. Yeah, this man needs your help. He clearly like it's like someone close to you see you see him. Like, <laughs> like and- moron. I'm still unsure. Where does he sleep at night? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm still unsure. Do they not know he's married? No, they don't. I don't get how that's even possible. He sleeps in the same bed with his wife, and they're like, hey, where's Anakin go at night? <laughs> like, he used to bunk down over here. Where's his new apartment? I don't know. I guess I just hear Like, what? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. And it's, and that's what makes it hard. Like, I understand that we needed to use this movie to bridge the gap between Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. It's all wrong. It's all in this movie alone, really. Yeah. Like, a few things in, in the in uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if we all knew he was going to be this anyway, then you should have sprinkled it out. It's and you George should've... Lucas didn't think anything through. And it should. And it should be, like, subtle where people. Why? Like, you lose all respect for other characters. Like, you re- lose respect for Yoda. Yeah. You lose Yoda's respect for Obi-Wan. You lose respect for anyone who was in the forward going even like is this is nothing the the throwaway c-3po wipe his memory so that like oh yeah because he's the one who can talk so we want to make sure that like he doesn't know anything but freaking r2 sassy bot like it's it's bad there's so many ways to fix it so um you sent me a podcast i did um what's the name of this podcast story break uh, it is by, by Rocket Jump. Yeah, the Rocket Jump folks, uh, Freddie Wong and his crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did. It, is it just a storytelling podcast? They like pitch scripts and stuff. Is that the podcast? Um, yeah, it's it's more or less. There's like some stuff like that. One of their first episodes is also like, how could we make a movie out of Clippy from <laughs> from Word when we were kids? And, and they, I remember listening to one where they said, how do we make a movie uh, starring uh, Captain Hook? Mm. And ha- like Captain Hook becoming the man he is in Peter Pan. <sighs> I so watched that. One of their earliest episodes, and you sent this to me, is they're like, "All right, here's the challenge: we need to write a good movie about Jar Jar Binks." Yeah. And you you sent that to me, and I thought, "Oh, this is just gonna be silly." Like, and, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's th- so good." <laughs> it is a great example of how having a writer's room is writer's rooms are so important and like they just thought through so they they presented a they pitched a film about jar jar binks from you know the end of episode one the phantom menace to like before the original star wars trilogy where it's like well what happened to jar jar in that time how did he become the senator how did he become a senator (laughs) uh you know and then what was his fate you know yeah and like they just sit there and start talking and it starts off as like kind of a silly idea but then slowly over time they start like using logic and reason and you know human psychology on this like you know cartoon mm-hmm. frog man yep <laughs> you know presenting like how does he go to be a respected senator mm-hmm. in the republic to like you know a political dissident to like you know, a, a, a hero again. You yeah. Know? And so like they, they mapped out basically they did what George Lucas should have done. Yes. And it was like, how do you take a stupid frog man? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, they even, they were like, we want to show him have a fall from grace. Like Anakin does mm-hmm. where it's like, he's a, you know, he's sort of a war hero <laughs> because 
of episode one, right? But <laughs> it's like, you know, how does he become like lockstep with the empire, you know, the evil fascist empire, mm-hmm. you know, halfway through? And then how does he redeem himself at the end, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like similar to what happens to Anakin Skywalker. And I was just like, this is why you think things through. Yeah. And you ask other people like, okay, here's you, you, they, they presented moments mm-hmm. where they demonstrated like Char Char Binks's inner conflict within himself. Yeah. Where Lucas didn't do that for Anakin Skywalker, the most important character in this trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so well done. I'm glad that you, I was like, you just have to listen to it. I understand, but you just have to listen yeah, to it. Yeah, we recommend because, listening to that. Yeah, podcast. it's so good. There's, it, it's an older podcast. I'm pretty sure this episode is. 2017. Yeah. So not old, but it's older. Uh, okay. Cause we're it's in 2023. Now. Yeah. yeah I, I'm still in 2020. Like in my brain, that was only three years ago. So, um, ouch. uh, it's it's the greatest demonstration of why when we're making big epics, it is a collaborative thing, right? Uh, even like just aside, like I'm working on building a game right now. I'm pl- building a game and I'm doing a lot of it myself, but like I want it, I'm working with other people to get ideas to bounce off of, to like check my ideas and to have some of their input as well. And that's what's going to make it a lot of fun and a lot of uh, something that we want to return to and something that feels real and lived in. And the Star Wars universe feels very not real, not lived in at all. Yeah. It feels, it's very like theatrical in the worst kind of way. It it's, feels like a facade. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> and I think at, at some point you, you had said, and I couldn't remember what I was trying to say, uh, but I remember now you had talked about how like Anakin, like, or even the script, it just says a lot of things and it doesn't do anything through action to show or like to show. And a script is mostly just words that people say, but it's also stage direction and a lot of other things to like set up mood and stuff. And yesterday we watched um, three Ghibli movies. One of them was only yesterday. Strange, strange movie. Very, very good. Watch it. It's at a, only one watch time. But at one point, the characters remembering like, I was in a play once and I had to say these lines and my teacher said I couldn't say any other lines. But I realized that words were not the only way for me to express something. And so this like fifth grader is like using pauses and silences, using the movement of her head, her hand to to like like deliver emotion outside of words being like, oh, look at that thing over there. Like I realize that is written by not a fifth grader, but like that's what this is missing. Yeah. Um, I want to use an example from that Jar Jar podcast. Do it. So they were thinking through, okay, how do we like – what's Jar Jar's character like in the what's the starting point like what, what do we know about him in the first movie and they're like talking he's a doofus <laughs> yeah but they're like talking about you know the circumstances that set and they were like we can't change anything about the movies so it's like we have to use what's there mm-hmm. and they're like oh you know it's interesting it's like Jar Jar Binks has a life debt with Qui-Gon Jinn you know it's like Qui-Gon Jinn saved his life mm-hmm. so he he says oh you I I owe you my life it's a life debt right so he has, and they recognize, okay, that means that Jar Jar has this, like, deep connection with Qui-Gon Jinn, this mm-hmm. man who saved his life. You know, he, you owe him everything. So at the end of the movie, Qui-Gon Jinn dies. Yeah. He dies in, in, a, in a fight. And you never, you, they recognize, you never see Jar Jar's reaction to the news that Qui-Gon Jinn is dead. The man he owes his life debt to. That's a deep failure because you didn't save his life mm-hmm. like he saved yours. Mm-hmm. That's the 
yeah. point. So they they were like, oh yeah, we got to show that scene where like you know it's the end of the movie, the end of the battle, and you're you're elated because you're Jar Jar Binks and you won the battle for your 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 crew, your mm-hmm. planet, <laughs> and uh, you see Obi Wan come out, emerge, and he's like, where's Qui Gon? You know, and like that, and and like even them just describing that scene to me. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I know, right? <laughs> and it's like the only time I've ever felt anything other than disgust for Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> and I was like, you didn't have to tell me that even that, like, oh, Jar Jar's sad that Qui-Gon Jinn died or yeah. he feels disappointed in himself for letting that man die or anything like that. You know, it was just like just in talking through his character motivation and that reaction mm-hmm. that speaks for itself. Yeah. Whereas in a Revenge of the Sith, you have Anakin <laughs> saying... I want more power, <laughs> and I know I shouldn't. What? You could have just showed it to me rather than tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and there's so many ways to show that. Like, maybe watching, like, one of the Sith apprentices beat back Obi-Wan. and Like, at some point, that sort of happens. And, like, him standing back and watching it and marveling at, like, the power that these people hold over my master who is stronger than, well, I say I'm stronger than him, but like is strong and being able to be like, I want to fight that and win. I want that. I want, or, you know, like, yeah. and being well, able to see that like reaction, yeah. not even need words or anything like that. Put, put, put him in a place of authority where it's like over children and like have them teach a class that they no, would be young, murder ladies, you know, but like, but you know what I mean? It's like yeah. having power over children or power over women. It's like, that's usually like a gateway for someone yeah. to fall into the, the totalitarian pipeline. Yeah. Know? And, and even, even as you say that, I was like, there are moments where I could, that there are there that they should have just pushed in more in other movies, right? Where we were talking in, in episode two, how annoying it was that he was cutting off a senator doing her job. Excuse me. Hey, right? Like, excuse, like, shut up. And like seeing him like, oh, well, I can do that. And I am do that. And then have that carry over uh, more than like, even though he's part of the Jedi cancel, but he's not a, he's not a Jedi cancel. He's still a Padawan on it and not a high, whatever, a high monk, whatever you call it. And, and him, if he was in there still talking over people and doing these different things, like, yes, but I'm here. I have that. You're not giving me the title, but we know there are so many moments where you could have flushed it out rather than, I want more. Right. <laughs> give me, give me more. Like, uh, and Story break like shows seriously, guys. Listen to story break. Yeah, it, <laughs> listen it, to all the episodes you want. Anything that sounds interesting, but specifically listen to that one. It was just a good example of how a writer's room can function, yeah, and how seeking advice because you watch the like behind the scenes clips of these ma- these movies, and uh, no one confronts George on his ideas. It's like, well, he's George Lucas. He's made us millions. Uh, who are we to question his his wisdom? Do it. It's like, <laughs> Question yeah, it. Collaborative conflict is important. You know? Yeah. Sorry that I jumped the gun on this conversation. That's fine. Uh, maybe we can put a pin in it and come yeah. back to it a little bit later. Um, let's talk about like just the the direction and the way the movie is shot, especially the talking scenes. I mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a difference between the action scenes, yeah. which the animators put together, and the talking scenes, mm-hmm. which George Lucas filmed on a soundstage while sitting in his chair. Yeah. <laughs> um, one is flat. Can you guess which one? And uh, to to illustrate my point, I'm going to bring back uh, someone who's well known for talking about the Star Wars prequel movies. Oh, no. That is uh, Red Letter Media's Mr. Plinkett. Star Wars Episode 3 is the most disappointing thing since Star Wars Episode 2. <laughs> He's right. He's right. No, okay, so like the, the, the Red Letter Media Plinkett reviews is just like, 
a thorough breakdown of the things that are wrong with the prequel movies. Mm -hmm. His breakdown of episode one and episode two are probably better than the three because the the third movie here is better than the other two. It has a lot of the same problems that he's already touched on. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't pull a whole lot of clips from the Plinkett review, but him breaking down the technical aspects of like filming a scene is you know pretty pretty uh thought provoking i okay. felt like so mr plinkett has some some good insight on how george lucas films his his talking scenes mm-hmm. when we have a scene that starts with characters walking they'll usually slow down and then stop then we'll go to what's called shot reverse shot basic over the shoulder camera angles of two people talking to each other This is the most basic and simplistic way to shoot dialogue scenes. Now to spice it up, at almost the exact same moment in a scene when the shot reverse shot starts to get boring, a character will walk away and go over to a window and then look out the window. When you say, I want more, but I know I shouldn't, Mm -hmm. you can turn away. (laughs) And he's right. All All the talking scenes are shot that way. Just like sitting on a couch or they're walking and talking or they're, you know, shot reverse shot in front of a window. Uh, and it, there's it, it, we were watching it this latest time and I was like, it really does feel like a play. It's yeah. like George Lucas shot a play yeah. on a sound on a green screen soundstage. Um, and it's very boring. It's <laughs> it's boring to look at, like visually. It's incredibly like, boring. The backgrounds are just kind of like fake looking constantly, like nothing looks real. The character we've already talked about it. the characters aren't human like the, no there's there's no humanity in these these dialogue scenes mm-hmm. very little yeah like you don't these characters don't function like human beings with their decision making and stuff so everything just has a weird fakeness mm-hmm. and and the the the, the framing and the uh, direction do them no favors yeah it, it's just as lifeless as everything else and I think that's so wild right because like. We've seen plays. I make you go to plays when you were dating me. Like, there are plays are not lifeless or flat or anything like that, you know? But, uh, well, there are some. Shakespeare's. Like, I mean, (laughs) I think George maybe thought he was making Shakespeare. Mm. But, like, that's a a play. Yeah. You're making a movie. Yeah. (laughs) You know, use use some dynamic camera shots or something you know like yeah, your audience isn't your audience is in one place but you don't have to show them yeah. only one thing that's like you watch a, you watch a dialogue scene from like a bunch of different types of movies you know like we, we watched some wes anderson movies recently those have a lot of talking but generally yeah. like it's visually interesting mm-hmm. tarantino visually interesting when you see two characters talking yeah even the movie we're going to talk about in the second segment very a lot of characters talking over like a table and yeah. it, it's visually interesting. Mm-hmm. None, no None dialogue in this movie is visually interesting. It's very like if if anything else, just kind of, you know, adequate. Yeah. It's almost like he was like, well, I don't want to subtract from the visual interestingness of the background of the ba- well, no, of the the uh, action parts that are all animated, no. which I know that's not his thought process, but like. That was the only part that actually interests him. Yeah, I guess. And, and like he doesn't like you see him. He's like, I'm sitting in front of my my screens with two, camera A over here, camera B over here, you know, and that's the shot reverse shot. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I could just sit here and film the whole scene in one go. I don't yeah. have to like, you know, we don't have to do several takes. It's it's I don't have to do too much. Yeah. I could sit here with my coffee and drink it. Yeah, that's so 
That's so wild because I would think, right? Like, obviously, I'm not a director and I never will be. But I would think sitting and watching people act against each other, especially if they're not, hopefully, just walking around, like, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at this side of you. And if we were filming this, all I would see is you with a big old mic in front of your face. It's passing most of your face. I see your your eyes and your hair. But like if I had the option, I would love to occasionally, especially when you're laughing or smiling, go to your left side to get your full profile so I could see these things. And it's wild to me that you would just sit there and not be like, oh, I wonder what the person having this conversation is seeing because I'm seeing a profile right now. Or I wonder what would like be if we shot outside with the window. Like why don't you want dynamic right. shots? And Mr. Plinkett brings up a good example from... Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, Episode Five, uh, where a an uh, Imperial like commander walks in on Darth Vader uh, to give him some news, and Darth Vader's in like his healing pod, mm-hmm. and and the the George Lucas did not direct that movie, Irvin mm-hmm. Kershner did, and Irvin Kershner thought it would be cool visually to have this like con- it, whenever it's shot reverse shot, but with this like metal pod between. The mm-hmm. two subjects. So there's this constant separation between, you know, a human flesh and blood man and this cyborg, you know, uh, a samurai. You right. Know? <laughs> and it's like there's something inhuman about Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And, and he's in a position of vulnerability where he's like he's seated for the fr- you see him sitting down for the first time in this pod. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just something alien about him. Yeah. So it's like the visuals tell a story. Yeah. George, don't do that in, <laughs> in these movies. <laughs> No, at all. Never. Like, the language of the camera is, is dead here. Like, I, I think this scene in particular, maybe one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie, that should be at least, like, intense, like, this, it's very important for the plot. Mm-hmm. We were both sitting there going, man, how boring is this scene <laughs> to look at? Be careful, the Jedi, Anakin. Only through me can you achieve a power greater than any Jedi. Learn to know the dark side of the Force, and you will be able to save your wife from certain death. What did you say? Use my knowledge, I beg you. You're the Sith Lord. It's like, he just revealed that he's the big bad, he's the villain, but we were just sitting there like, they're just like talking in a hallway. Yeah. We were com- like we were just kind of like looking at the background in this scene. Yeah, we were. It was like, what are those statues? Wait a minute, what's going on? Legitimately, I had this, no, I didn't have us rewind, but I was like, hopefully they go back to the shot so you can see, because that was more, the set dressing was more interesting, not interesting, but more interesting than the plot point that was developing. Right. It's just two dudes talking in a hallway and then one guy turns around and, you know, the, you heard a lightsaber at the end, but that doesn't, it's like, again, it's still just shot reverse shot. Like it's not, you know, no dynamic camera angle. Yeah. You don't see like a, like close up on Anakin's face and him like thinking what he's been told, thinking about what he's just been told. Like he doesn't like, like wait a minute, you're, you're, you're a Sith Lord and, and I've given you my trust, you know, like. You're manipulating yeah. me. Like he doesn't think anything. It's just like, yeah, nothing visually or in the writing does at, anything. Does any of these characters any favor at all? And I think it would have been so interesting to like, had they been in a place that even just had like windows or something in the background, which they may have, but I don't think that they were. And it'd be like 
something was going by, so it was making the room go from light to dark, light to dark, to yeah. like kind of express the like the challenge, and then like having at some point like a shadow rests on the side of pa Palpatine to like he is in the dark. This is what you're actually seeing, and seeing like Anakin stand in half shadow, half light with his lightsaber out, it gets really bright to show that he's standing on the good side. He's going to turn these things, and then. It goes out and he walks to the dark, the darker side. Like, that's the point of the camera. That's the point of editing and direction. Yeah. How much better would this have been even with that? Like, even some, Yeah, like in Return of the Jedi, not directed by George Lucas, directed by Richard Marquand. There's a scene. It, it is similar. It's like Anakin or Luke Skywalker is being tempted by the dark side at the end of the movie. It's the big climax, right, where he's fighting Darth Vader and he's wrestling with you know, who the person he wants to be. And mm -hmm. there's a shot where Luke is hiding behind a pillar and you just, it's like a straight on view. He's looking right at the camera and half his face is in darkness and the other half is in light. And it's like, that's a visual thing. Yes. Beautiful. Amazing. I'm not for, you know, infringement, but you should have copied that Lucas. <laughs> yeah. And there's like no energy to the, to any of the, the, the dialogue scenes. Yeah. Like there was no, like you saying like, ah, oh, we can do it all in one take that, that was, that should have been another take. I would have liked to hear you're the, you're the Sith in several different emotions, a yeah. shaking voice, a cracking voice, an angry voice, a quiet voice. Like what would have made any of those would have really said where Anakin was in this. Right. But that's in direction. Uh, Mr. Plankett will talk about kind of like there's no urgency to any of the any of this action. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay, so like the most important thing ever happens. Anakin tells Samuel L. Jackson that Palpatine is a Sith and that he's going to get them all. I think Chancellor Palpatine is a Sith Lord. A Sith Lord? We must move quickly if the Jedi Order is to survive. Then they just start walking at what can't even be described as a brisk pace. Yarn. It's true. It's like just they this movie has no life in these in these <laughs> talking scenes. Yeah, at all. Also, again, my brain went metal gear. <laughs> um, I think because I mean, even Hideo Kojima and Metal Gear had more visual <laughs> flair than this. Yeah. And, and, I and he'll talk for like four hours. <laughs> Cut Those characters too talk long. forever. Cutscenes are too long. Even codec calls have more visual flair than this. <laughs> and I think like this being different from the last thing we talked about, like how we would have made it better and changed different things to like make the story make sense. Like working with what we have, what what Lucas was like, this is what I want it to be. This is what I want said. This is like there's so many ways to direct this that would have given it energy, given it urgency, yeah. given given it weight, because nothing is weighted here. Like, I don't care about, a Sith is a word that doesn't exist. He's a Sith Lord. Great, I'm a, a wa, -wa, -wa lord. lord. I'm a wa, -wa, wa Lord. Like, Lord of the wa, -wa, -wa. Like, it's, it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. wa, -wa, -wa. It's uh, Yeah, it's just like this weird disconnect and like the older I get, the more I see it, where mm -hmm. I'm just like, man, this is like weird. It's yeah. deeply alien, this movie, you know, like I, I can't connect yeah. with a lot of what's happening, you know, and like there are a few scenes where I like, all right, I can connect, you know, like that opera scene where like Ian McDermott's like really carrying the scene and the mm -hmm. music and stuff, you know, because it is, is it is uncanny. Yeah. 
But a lot of the dialogue with those, even with those two, like even with Ian McDermott, it's just very flat, you mm-hmm. know, and Ian McDermott's trying his best. But it's just like George Lucas is a detriment to this production. Yeah. I feel bad because I feel we, we really do trash on him a lot. And he's still a person with feelings. Yeah. I, and it's not that you're a bad person. Know your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Like if he if he had like come up with maybe a story treatment handed it off to a Lawrence Kasdan or someone who, you know, it's good, a good writer. I always said it would be interesting to see uh, the guy who did um, Requiem for a Dream, uh, Darren Aronofsky. Mm. You know, he, he was a big hotshot in Hollywood at the time, like doing weird cerebral thrillers, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that would have been interesting to see him handle Anakin Skywalker's turn, hand it off to him and say, hey, write the dialogue, write Anakin Skywalker's turn mm-hmm. for me, you know, that would have been interesting. I feel like Sometimes you say stuff and I'm like, that that would be a cool – I know I sit here and I go nerd a lot, but in my own nerddom, I like want to get some of my writing friends that do different kinds of writing together and be like, all right, take this scene from this movie and everybody just rewrite it. Like it's from this point to this point, add whatever you need into it, but it's the scene that happens in this room. And then I just want us all to like have each other kind of like perform it or put it together just to be like – this is how things can be different. You yeah. know, that sounds like so much fun. I might do that. Hey, remember, keep this in so that I can, when I listen back, remember that's what I want to do. <laughs> and then last thing about George Lucas writing, just real quick. Um, if he ever does try to inject themes, because I think he, he always said he never meant for this to be this, this way, but people, especially in 2005, watched this movie and saw subtext for the Middle East conflict that was happening in 2005. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people were saying, oh, this this has parallels to Iraq, you know, and, and, and the Bush administration. And uh, George kept saying, no, oh, I didn't mean that. Um, I, I, I took it and based it on Vietnam, you know, like I'm like, sure, George, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, All wars the same. I, I, I don't think that's true. I think mm-hmm. maybe he was trying to, you know, remain apolitical mm-hmm. in the eyes of the public. But um, if he did try to inject any kind of political uh, subtext into this movie, it was done with broad strokes and very bluntly. Mm. Uh, like, this is some of the worst dialogue in the movie. This right here. I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. I should have known the Jedi were plotting to take over. Anakin, Chancellor Palpatine is evil. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Well, then you are lost. From my point of view... Mufasa is evil. I mean, yeah, it's very lazy and it means nothing. From my point of view, I don't know. What's, a, what's another like movie with a good guy and a bad guy? Um, <laughs> uh, Hans from Die Hard. <laughs> am I, from my point of view, John McClane is evil. <laughs> Fair. All these are true. From my point of view, the Ghostbusters are evil. <laughs> They did bust a lot of ghosts. You know, it's just like, you, it, it's so bad. From my point of view, Sonic is evil. It, it's So people were like, you know, it's similar to when George uh, Bush said, uh, you know, you're either with us or you're with terrorists, you know. Goodness. It's like, you're either with me or against me. From my point of view, you're evil. It's it's horrible. Yeah. I even, even regardless, like even like moving away from Anakin's response, the Obi-Wan saying the Sith are evil. I'm like. What does evil mean, right? Like, like in that. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. 
<laughs> Here's Obi-Wan doing that. Yeah, right? Like, it's shorthand whatever, but it, it's like, what are they evil for? Even, even right? Like, like I'm not saying that, oh, the Sith aren't evil, but I don't... What are they, what are they doing? Because the war is being fought on both sides. It's evil, on, it's, it's evil everywhere and heroes on both sides. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of like, okay, but what are they evil for? Like, well, they... they um, are killing people so are we like they are They're selfish it so are we <laughs> and regardless like i'm not saying like so they're not really evil but i am saying like say the things like rather than the sith are they're evil say something like they are working to tear down everything they they murdered that you murdered younglings people are dead people are dead that we know for no reason other than that they are on our side um, or any number of things, right? Like they blew up Naboo. They didn't, whatever, uh, to say these things. And then from my point of view, you, you know, whatever it is, because he would still be like, well, we did these things too. And that would make more sense, but we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the writing. We're not talking about how to fix it. We are talking about the writing. We are not and talking, we are about, how talking to fix about how we're going to fix it. Uh, yeah. So then those are the ways, right? But I, I also, he really only cared about, the fact that this fight was three hours too long. <laughs> the whatever was said was circumstantial. I want to fight it. I want to fight in Bowser's castle. That was the point <laughs> of this whole whole epic. I guess so. Yeah. It's like, how do we get this man into the Darth Vader suit as quick as possible? <laughs> okay. Last thing I want to touch on with Revenge of the Sith, because I think we've been dancing around it. Uh, this movie can't be fixed by just fixing this script. You have to fix the whole trilogy. Yeah. Because this is a culmination of three movie thing. It's, it's it's all a culmination of Anakin Skywalker's character from start to finish. Yeah. And the 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 problems of this movie lies in how George invested his time in the first two movies. Mm -hmm. He needed to map this out. Yeah. He needed to plot out this character's descent, you know, his fall. The you know, the tragic fall of Anakin Skywalker from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And however he did that, uh, didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about how do we rewrite the prequel trilogy? Because the last of the three. How do we rewrite the prequel trilogy so that Anakin Skywalker's fall makes more sense, is more believable, you know, on a human level? And how do we make it so that it's consistent with the original trilogy? Mm -hmm. Because that's my problem watching these prequel movies. They don't fit quite right yeah. with the original trilogy. And I want to just play two clips from the first movie. Uh, 1977 Star Wars uh, with old Obi-Wan narrating his relationship with Luke Skywalker's father. Mm -hmm. No, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. That's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy and a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. So a little comment Obi-Wan says about, oh, your, your, your uncle didn't see eye to eye with your father's ideals. He thought, you know, he should have stayed here on Tat Tatooine and not gotten involved. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what does Uncle Owen know about Anakin's ideals? They yeah. met once. Yeah. It's so inconsistent and dissonant from yeah. the reality of these movies that I've seen, like I could see them and it just doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. So people like if you, you know, you squint real hard, you can maybe see how these things line up. But to me, I've never felt like it's satisfying 
watching mm-hmm. the movies in a, in a sequence from a chronological order. Yeah. You know, because three and four don't match. Yeah. So two and four, you know, everything that we see in the prequel movies do not line up with what Obi-Wan just said. Yeah. So I thought that was weird. And it's like the relationship between Uncle Owen and Anakin is implied in that bit of dialogue. I would have liked to see that. It's like, yeah. what ideals did Uncle Owen disagree with? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah, like, did Anakin go back to Tatooine multiple times? Like no, during never. No, I mean, I know he didn't, yeah. but, like, if you're saying fix, right, right. to make that make sense. And, and then here's here's another clip. Same, same scene. Which reminds me, I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. When did Anakin follow Obi-Wan on an idealistic crusade? Mm-hmm. Never. Never. Like, he was rescued from slavery by another Jedi. And, and Obi-Wan just so happened to be there. Like, yeah. On a ship hanging out. Yeah. He, it, it, the whole time sitting on that it ship. It doesn't make sense. So, I had us, in preparation for this episode, watch two... World War One films, or at least scenes from them. Yeah, luckily just scenes because yeah. you know how I feel about so, them. So <laughs> the first trilogy of Star Wars, uh, episodes four through six, uh, are in, in some ways based on World War II. Mm-hmm. It's like World War II in space where you have the evil fascist empire, you know, and a group of rebels, like, you know, maybe even like French partisans or, mm-hmm. or something, right? You know, they're fighting against the, the powers that be. Right. Um, if I was told you need to rewrite the prequel trilogy so that it makes sense. I would use real history and say, okay, if World War II was the basis mm-hmm. for the original trilogy, how about for the prequel trilogy? World War I. We base it on World War One. So one of my favorite scenes in film history is the opening scene to 1930s All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm-hmm. It is a scene, it, it's set in Germany, takes place, it's 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 a group of German school children, like like high school aged, mm-hmm. right? They're they're in class and their professor, who is this like Old man, German. Uh, you know he's clearly you know, he's he's German through and through. You know mm-hmm. for the fatherland, or patriot, whatever. a true patriot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and World War One has just World broken out. Nationalist, you, nationalist. You you see, uh, you know, jolly soldiers parading down the streets, going off to war because mm-hmm. wars have just been called. The German people knew like this is our chance to show. You know, the, the power of Germany, the power of Germany. This is great. We've been waiting for this. You know, we can really prove ourselves as like, you know, the the, the nation we say we are. And there's like, you know, people are, are celebrating in the streets because this is this is a great opportunity. And, and the professor is giving a, a lecture on, you know, you need to fight for your country. Mm-hmm. So and so on. And these kids in the scene are like fired up. Yeah. They are drawn in by the pomp and the, the importance and mm-hmm. the. Uh, the the promise of glory, you know, um, and the all the, the these teenage kids. There's like, uh, I mean, I, you remember the scene? There's like a, they're huddled up after the lecture, mm-hmm. and this group of teenagers. One one teenager is a little hesitant. He's to like, go I don't know, man. It. I don't really want to. I don't. And he's being heavily peer pressured. Right. Imagine if we were rewriting the prequel trilogy. Anakin Skywalker isn't introduced as a little boy. He's not even a slave. He's a Kid growing up on Tatooine, a teenager, mm-hmm. right? And he's got a group of others. And, and Tatooine at that time is being drawn into a war, right. you know, for the Republic. You know, maybe maybe Tatooine's under the Republic at this point. 
because uh, in the other movies, like it's it's owned by gangsters. It's on the outskirts. You know? <laughs> Maybe this is before that. Mm-hmm. He's and his uncle Owens or his brother Owens there. You know, it's not even his half brother. It's like his brother. Full brother. Yeah, he actually know? has a family. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's another guy named Ben Kenobi's there. You know. Yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And and Obi Wan Kenobi's like, this is our chance. Like, yeah. Let's go join the military. Just an old man talking to. No, no, they're they're, they're... no. That's the yeah. That's true. Obi Wan is not old at this point. No, this they, they're, they're of the same age. Maybe yeah, Obi Wan's yeah. like an upperclassman or something. Yeah. And he convinces Anakin, let's go to war. This is our chance. Like this is this is exciting. Mm-hmm. Sort of like what Luke Skywalker did. You know, drawn into the adventure of it all. Right. Because you know, you watch uh, All Quiet on the Western Front for these kids going out to war is almost like a big adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, let's do it. Come on. Why would I sit here and learn stuff? Let's go. Let's go. And off they go. And off that's the go. first movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and the first movie is like World War One in space. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, it even set it like make it seem like uh, all quiet on the Western Front, where it goes from being exciting. And, you know, it's a group of young idealists. Right. And Uncle Owen stays behind because he's like, that's stupid. <laughs> Good job, Owen. You know, um, and, and that's consistent with what Obi-Wan just said. Yeah. You shouldn't have gotten involved. Yeah. Anakin, that war is nothing but trouble. And then they go to war and they turns out maybe, you know, just like in All Quiet on the Western Front, war isn't what they thought they said it was going to be. And yeah. It's actually kind of grisly and horrible. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if they're on the like the Jedi side or the Republic side in this in this point. Right. Because it's just showing the horrors of war. Yeah. And how it like affects this young man. Yeah. It, you know, maybe he falls in with the Jedi, be, you know, like he joins the ranks of the Jedi Knights just through the war mm-hmm. at some point. I don't even think that it matters all that much. Yeah. You know, it's just like you see the hor- when confronted with the horrors of war, something changes in Anakin, you know, where it's like. Yeah. You know, I think like even as he joined, probably seeing all this stuff and like Ob- his friend Obi-Wan still being gung ho for the cause and him being like, this is wild. People are dying. This could be at any point. But him seeing that like the Jedi Order and the generals and stuff don't necessarily get in on the dirt. And the way to like make sure you stay alive while also making sure your cause is to have power, to be higher, to do this. And so that's why he like tries to like change his trajectory to get to this place of power. Like that's the first inkling of him like going like power is what important while what is important while Obi-Wan is still like the cause is what's important. Yeah. And you still get an exciting Star War yeah. story because it's set in space and there's battles and, you know, Anakin proves himself to be a, an adequate pilot, you know, and then maybe whatever. It's yeah. just like take World War One, make it a space story. That's your first movie, maybe your first and second movie, something like that. Right. Then I had us watch another World War One movie called None Shall Escape. Uh, I actually I really like this movie. I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what that movie presents at least the, the scenes we watched it's a trial for a nazi yes yeah, so it, it's it's a frame though that's the framing mm-hmm. it, it's sort of like take a nazi after world war ii is being put on trial for his war crimes yeah and, and it's him giving testimony and people from his life giving testimony about his life yeah and so anytime they testimony about something um it's a flashback right and what's the what is the the scenes depicted in the flashback? Uh, the first one is immediately coming home from war, uh, from World War one. one, and um, him clearly having PTSD. And, he's lost his leg and his eye, and he's real upset that Germany didn't win. <laughs> uh, and he's in Poland. Yeah, so this is one of those things where this guy he's a he's a German teacher. 
who had been teaching in Poland and he even had a white, like he had a fiance in yeah. Poland, you know, that he'd fallen in love with. Uh, and he's just a school teacher, but Germany went to war. So he went back to Germany and fought for the German side. So mm-hmm. when he comes back to Poland, which did not fight on the German side, um, there's a lot of resentment towards the Polish, even in the mm-hmm. movie where he's in like, him, in him. And then there's resents against the pole from the Polish people to this German who's right. like, yeah, you were here before. I guess that's fine. But you're kind of scum. So I, I liked this movie because it presents to you a believable like this guy's not a good guy mm-hmm. in this movie. Like, no, it, you, you're from, watching, the, from the moment from the moment in his flashback. It's right. not like this is how he slowly became about like as soon as you see him come back from war, you're like, mm, no, thank you. But all of the rest of the characters recognize that you're you're not the same person. anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like his, his fiance is like, I loved you, Wilhelm, you know? Yeah. And Ooh. like and, and as soon as. He comes back from this horrible war, having lost like a piece of himself Mm -hmm. physically and emotionally, emotionally spiritually. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He's changed. The war has changed him. So that's Mm -hmm. why I had us watch the first scene of uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, because you see the young idealist going off to war. I can imagine Mm -hmm. Wilhelm being caught up in the same, you know, nationalistic fervor. And then after the war, which is horrible, Mm -hmm. who who doesn't care what it doesn't matter what happened during the war. We just know that it changed him. Yeah. And made him a worse person. Yeah. And left him deeply resentful and uh, this weird. So anyway, my point is, I felt like this movie did a very good job presenting a believable reason for why a human being can go from maybe an idealistic, you know, young person that Mm -hmm. people like. And, you know, people saw good qualities in Wilhelm. Yeah. To becoming a very fierce defender of Hitler and mm-hmm. a member of the Nazis. Yeah. You know, and it's like his, his track to, to the, he fell to the dark side. Yeah. And I was like, right there, there's the, George, there's, there's your, your archetype <laughs> right there. Yeah. So I had us, you, you know, you can share more about this movie if you want. Yeah. No, we, we like watching through the things, right. He lost his fiance because he out loud said, he out loud was like the only Polish person I could stand is you. The rest of them are animals, much like Anakin said in the second movie. But guess what? His fiance said, uh, dad, I think I'm going to go spray, put a pause on this marriage thing and go visit my aunt. And dad was like, bet do that. He's a little crazy. And when she was like, Hey, I want to postpone our marriage. He was like, of course you would. You're a Polish person. You're going off to Warsaw to find a better suitor than a one-legged man. You know? I get it. You're blah, blah. And she's like, oh, great. Dodged a bullet there and leaves, um, <laughs> which is what Padme should have done. And I'm imagining like if you took Anakin Skywalker and added, you know, and, and inserted him in this story similar, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine like, again, we're rewriting the whole trilogy here. Right. It's like he, he returns to Tatooine because the war is over, right? And Maybe he lost his leg, just mm-hmm. like this. He lost his eye or whatever. Maybe he didn't lose his eye. You don't see his eye lost in the original children. But he lost his leg, you mm-hmm. know? So he's a broken man. Right. And he has no prospects in Tatooine because Tatooine's like a dead-end planet. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's I, I like to, I thought it would have been interesting, like an inverse of the Luke Skywalker story where mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker, it's like Treasure Island. You know, he's this young farm hand who who seeks adventure, wants something more exciting than his, his, right. uh, his provincial life. <laughs> There's something more... <laughs> <laughs> he, he wants to venture in the great white somewhere. Yes. Uh, white? Yes. <laughs> With Luke Skywalker, it's a very, you know, innocent, you know, fairy tale mm-hmm. like thing where he, he is whisked off to adventure and has, you know, great success. Right. Imagine if you flip that and made it more realistic. Anakin Skywalker, he is whisked off to adventure, 
but it be, ends up being a horrible experience for mm-hmm. him where he loses more than he gained. Right. And he's forced to return to Tatooine, mm-hmm. this dead on desert planet, you know, yeah. and it's like, well, what are my prospects? Right. Maybe he returns to Tatooine and after the war, the Republic kind of gives up on Tatooine mm-hmm. and it ends up, you know, getting taken over by the huts which mm-hmm. are in star wars are like gangsters you know right. so imagine like criminals like the criminal underworld takes over tatooine yeah yeah. and yeah. anakin just sees this is growing more and more resentful to the weakness of his his circumstances right you know and he's like you know these horrible huts are taking over you know and, and these rats people on tatooine are just giving in yeah and like even even in that him being like and that being where Owen was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't have gone. You shouldn't have done this stuff. Yeah. And, but then also seeing that the brother that is returned to him is probably someone he can't continue to say these things to because, of course, he's flying off the handle. Every- PTSD is a real thing. Right. Uh, and he's got a magic sword that is fire now. We've got to we got to we got to like, uh, but like. Him having risen so high, even if it was a failed war, if he was on the wrong side, um, or not even because it wasn't like Nazi side. It was just like, oh, we were fighting yeah, to the make Ger- sure. Yeah, the Germans weren't. They were Nazis. Though. Yeah, They're yeah. Like so Imperial he just Germany. even even if he won, right? Like even if he was already on the Republic side and they won and whatever, and he comes back and he's like, but I'm not really seeing any difference. And the Republic is gone from my hometown, like Tatooine, yeah. and Tatooine is all these things, but he still has like some connection. So he's like, I need to get off this planet. And hearing anyone, so maybe a Palpatine reaching out to him, being like, actually, we, uh, you did real good in the war and stuff, and we don't need. There's not a war happening, but there's like a trade federation or there's a something. We just like, kind of need eyes on. Could you come up here? Yeah. Could you do these things? And then Obi Wan's still. Obi Wan never returned. You know, like yeah, Obi Wan maybe had he, he had no reason to go to Tatooine because he's a war hero. Yeah, so he's off at the Jedi Temple training. You know, yeah, and, and who knows? And maybe like okay, in Nunchal Escape. Wilhelm, the Nazi, mm-hmm. returns to Poland and has a fiance, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe Anakin had an old flame on Tatooine that he, yeah. something similar. Like maybe she conceived a child mm-hmm. or two <laughs> in their time. Yeah. But when Anakin proves to be a horrible human being, she like runs away and he doesn't know if his children are alive or dead. Yeah. You know, just like the woman in Nun Shall Escape. Mm-hmm. And that makes Anakin even more deeply resentful. Yeah. You know, so this is maybe even like the third movie at this point. Yeah. Or the end of the second movie where, you know, Anakin is, you know, at his wits end, you know? Yeah. No, I, cause I could think that it would be like interesting to even in the, in that, right? Like if he's like, I'm away, I'm doing stuff. And I had his old flame while he was on Tatooine and stuff. And it was like, yo, come, come up with me. Like we're doing great. Let's get off of this dust bowl coming. And she's like living it up a little bit. Like, oh, this is great. And we're building a family and we're da, 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 da. And as war heightens and he's getting more into this Sith party or whatever. Uh, and she's really seeing like, he was already not the man I fell in love with before he went to war. And there was a lot I was willing to forgive. But at this point, this can't, I'm not doing this. And she sneaks away at night. She does whatever she leaves. And at that point where she's like, I'm either I'm going like, she won't even go back to Tatooine at that point. Right. Like, because she's like, you'll be able to find me there. I have to find some other place in this thing because I want to make sure my kids are protected. Yeah. And she's, she'd had to have had like a relationship with Owen. Yeah. You know, for like if, if she passed away, the kid has somewhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think even that I think that like that would be interesting to have as a story wise, like <clears throat> she doesn't die in childbirth. She just like is gone away or something. And she does at some point that like he can't find them or whatever. Uh, and he obviously goes to see 
like where's my wife where and she's not there you there's nothing you can do about it and then maybe years later after she passes one child she still is wary and like in her will one child goes to owen and one child goes to uh, a friend that she made and who supported her during the time that her husband was crazy yeah and then in the before that (laughs) no the other vignette that we had i had you watch from Mm -hmm. none shall escape you want to describe that one um he it was him like wilhelm wilhelm returning uh to germany to his brother and his brother's family and being and the family being like really excited to see him and stuff but then he was really about that nazi sympathizing yeah because wilhelm falls in with the new political party that's all the hotness in germany and so he moves in with his brother in berlin and his brother is like he writing for the communist papers and stuff so i can Mm -hmm. imagine like you just Take those roles and make them Anakin Skywalker going to capital city of Coruscant mm-hmm. or something, right? Where the Jedi Council is, right? And maybe Anakin fought as a Jedi during the war, but he said, that's ah, not for me. I've lost my leg. I can't, I yeah. can't be a Jedi Knight anymore, right? But his, his friend Obi-Wan Kenobi is still mm-hmm. Ben Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> He's still in the Jedi Order and doing his thing. Mm-hmm. But Anakin's like, hey, I've run in with a new crew, you know, this new political party. They, they're, we're going to change the world. And yeah. My favorite line from Nunshell Escape is Wilhelm shows up at his brother's house and his br- he goes, you know, there's there's a movement in Germany. It's you know, it's it's good. We're, we're going to we're going to we're going to really change things around here. Mm-hmm. And his brother goes, that Hitler creature, <laughs> that man's crazy. That man is, in fact, <laughs> imagine crazy. like Obi-Wan said the same thing to Anakin. He's like that Palpatine creature. <laughs> You're in with him. Yeah, but it's almost like I I know there's good in you, and I trust you, Anakin. Like you'll eventually see that this is an MML. It's like this. Yeah, well, it's like yeah, that's a weird political party that you're in. But like they're not, yeah. you know, killing people. I know they have hoodlums in their political party, but what political party doesn't have hoodlums in it? Yeah, you know. So it's like Obi Wan is trying to you know maintain his friends' humanity mm-hmm. as much as possible, and that and we watched Nunchal Escape and like. The point in time where I said, okay, it's like that guy is completely lost. Yeah. Do you remember what I said it was? It's like uh, Wilhelm has no, he can't be redeemed at this point. He uh, turns his brother over to the Nazis yes. as a, uh, what's that word? When you don't do with the political prisoner. There you go. Yeah. He, he's sent to like a re-education camp by the Nazis because his brother set him up. Yep. His brother re- betrayed, Wilhelm betrayed his brother. Yeah. So I'd imagine at if you want to show Anakin Skywalker lose all humanity, he has to turn in his friend Obi-Wan. Yeah. And like betray. He has to betray his friend. Yeah. And I, I would also think that in the spec of the thing, that would be the moment that his Padme would be like, no, you've known him longer. You've done a lot more stuff. I'm not giving me myself or my kids to you. Like that would also be the moment. So that biggest betrayal is also what triggers his biggest loss. Yeah. Or so, yeah so whatever it is, like I thought – None shall escape, mm-hmm. you know, it provided a very good framework. Yeah, for what this can, should have been. Yeah, mm-hmm. where what could have happened with Anakin Skywalker because the way George did it. Not good. Not believable. Yeah. None shall escape at least was believable. It's like, how does a man go to, how does it, how does a, like a generally honorable man in the eyes of his peers and his friends mm-hmm. and his, his fiance, how does that man become a heartless, you know, like, just power hungry uh, Nazi. Yeah. And and I thought that movie did a good job of presenting it. I think it, it did a very good job of presenting it. Um it would have it is a much better framework, a much way more believable and something that I think would actually have made this a classic rather than 
relegated to a child's movie. Yeah. So that's really it. You know, <laughs> I was like, hey, hey, don't. Uh, do you recommend no. Revenge of the Sith? No. <laughs> I really wouldn't recommend it unless you've slogged through the other two movies. Like, there's no reason to watch this movie unless, like, you've watched the other two. At Even least, then, give up. <laughs> I know. The hard part's over. Just finish it. Whatever. You know, you've gotten this far in. Just do it. But, like, I'm like, if you want to, if you've never seen any of these prequel movies, don't watch them. Yeah. I was like, I don't think so. Just, like, go watch All Quiet on the Western Front from 1930 and then, uh. None shall escape from, I think, like, 43. Yeah. And don't show them to your kids because you know how kids are. They, If they like it, they're going to watch it over and over and over again, and then you're going to have no choice. And then you're going to have to do a podcast and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that's Revenge of the Sith. And uh, it's not good. Yeah. And we could have done better. Yeah. Uh, what does the world think? Good things. Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith broke several box office records during its opening week and went on to earn $868.4 million worldwide, making it the second highest grossing film in the Star Wars franchise at the time. Okay. It was the highest grossing film in the U.S. and the second highest grossing film worldwide in 2005. Dang. Uh, Second only to Harry Potter. Yeah, that makes sense. The film received mostly positive reviews from critics, with most regarding it as the best film in the prequel trilogy, which it is. I've been told. The Chicago Reader, for example, praised the, quote, thoughtful story. Mm. And Grandpa Ebert said Revenge of the Sith is, quote, great entertainment. We can all be wrong sometimes. (laughs) The New York Times, going a bit too far, concluded that it was, quote, the best of the four episodes Mr. Lucas has directed. That's wrong. That's wrong. Which is the best? Star Wars. Got it. A New Hope is a perfect movie. I didn't know which one he directed. He directed the first one and and these three. Got it. And it's equal to The Empire Strikes Back as, quote, the richest and most challenging movie in the cycle. So that New York Times uh, writer, you're, you're off base, buddy. No, dog. Criticism was nonetheless aimed at the film's dialogue and Hayden Christensen's performance. He didn't deserve that hate. Grandpa Ebert, despite praising the film, said, quote, the dialogue throughout the movie is once again the weakest point. Yeah. Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith was nominated for a single Academy Award. Do you know what it was? Animation? No. Oh. Best Makeup. Oh. Which it lost to The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. It became the only Star Wars film not to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Oh, wow. Which I'm like... It really probably should have. Yeah. I mean, like... What was nominated for best visual effects? In- I think War of the Worlds took it. Okay. Steven Spielberg's War of the World, which I'm, like, fine with it winning. But the fact that... It wasn't nominated. This wasn't nominated is kind of a big miss. Yeah. I think that's literally the product of the fact that these movies aren't very good. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was dragged down because of that. Okay, that makes sense. It did, however, win... Favorite Motion Picture and Favorite Dramatic Motion Picture Awards at the People's Choice Awards. Okay. It won Hollywood Movie of the Year at the Hollywood Film Festival, Empire Awards for Sci-Fi Fantasy Film and Scene of the Year for The Birth of Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as the Teen Choice Award for Best Movie Action. Okay. The Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film and Best Music and Best Villain for Darth Vader at the MTV Movie Awards. He was barely a villain. He was there for one second. <laughs> well, I mean, Darth Vader, he was Darth Vader from the point where he started killing children 
and uh, you know, Order sixty six and all that. Ah, he didn't say he didn't tell people to order sixty six. But he was Darth Vader and a villain. Okay, fair. Breaking with convention for the Star Wars prequels, Revenge of the Sith was only nominated for a single Golden Raspberry Award. Oh, that was Worst Supporting Actor for Hayden Christensen. Well, which he won. Yeah. It also received two nominations at the 2005 Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, Worst Screenplay for a film grossing more than $100 million, mm. and Worst On-Screen Couple for Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. And what of the legacy of Revenge of the Sith? Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith spawned a soundtrack album and DVD, a novelization, and a multi-platform video game adaptation. I did not play that one. I'll get it for you this Christmas. No, no. No. Hey kids, it's January. He has a game. This that is, is whatever this is. This is like the worst period for for video game <laughs> tie-ins. Like I they they were it. no like they were always bad. <laughs> oh, here's here's a fun one. In 2016, a fan dub of Revenge of the Sith released titled Star War. <laughs> Star War. <laughs> the Third Gathers Backstroke <laughs> of the West. Oh my gosh. Uh, the script used in the fan dub was the result of an inaccurate machine translation, so like Google Translate, <laughs> of the Mandarin version of Revenge of the Sith. They took that script, they translated it back into English, resulting in nonsensical subtitles and stage directions. <laughs> and that is where we get the famous scene where you get this scene. Rather than being translated as no, it's translated as do not want. <laughs> So the that internet saying, do not want, uh, that is from this Star Wars subtitle. Did not know. Backstroke of the West. Okay. Though a 3D re-release of Revenge of the Sith was planned in 2013, it was postponed by Lucasfilm so that they could focus their attention on the upcoming first film in the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Yay. That's a better choice than 3D Siths. The premiere of the 3D version of Revenge of the Sith was eventually shown Boo. in 2015 at the Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim. Okay. And where did Star Wars go from here? Because we are done with Star Wars. Yes, thank you. That is, uh, may- maybe we'll return. I don't know. We haven't really looked at the last half of the two- 2010s for the show. So mm. we might return to Star Wars. We might not. It really no. depends. No, please. Uh, but I've got, I've got where Star Wars went from here. Broad strokes. I'm not getting into okay. the weeds with this. In 2008, Lucasfilm released Star Wars, The Clone Wars. The Clone Wars. Different. An animated film set during the prequel trilogy, which served as a theatrical pilot for the television series of the same name. Mm. That was that was weird. I remember when they came out, we were like, what is this? <laughs> and I've always thought the, the art style in that show was ugly. Yeah. So you get this like cartoony, you know, movie mm-hmm. uh, about the Clone Wars starring Anakin and his apprentice that we were never told about. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the art's ugly, and apparently the the movie is just three episodes stitched together into a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it like, got bad reviews, and I'm like, I'm not watching that. A lot of people really like it. And a lot of people really like that show. I don't. Yeah. And suddenly those shows start invading the Star Wars things I like, and now I don't like those anymore. <laughs> so it's like there's too much Clone Wars in The Mandalorian now, mm. and I don't care about any of these characters. I don't care who Ahsoka is. Get her out of there. <gasps> But we love I like Rosario Dawson. <laughs> I don't know anything about Ahsoka and I don't like just I don't, I don't care. care to know. Yeah, I was like keep her in her own show. If you, she's got a show, people like it, that's fine. Yeah. Keep it out of these other shows that I do like. Mm-hmm. In 2012, George Lucas sold his production company to Disney? Disney. 
thus relinquishing his ownership of the Star Wars franchise. Mm. Disney decided to declare all Star Wars media created before 2014, other than the theatrical films and the Clone Wars television series, as non-canon. Okay. And began production on a new trilogy of Star Wars films. They did do that. Yep. Under Disney, Star Wars has spawned a sequel trilogy, Mm -hmm. two standalone films, Mm -hmm. six animated television series, and five live-action television series. Most notable for this discussion being the 2022 series Obi-Wan Kenobi, which saw the return of actors Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. Yep. And that show was fine. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't watch it. It was was fine. Really cheap. Mm. Really cheap looking. But it was cool to see uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi again. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. I always like him. Yeah. Getting getting some gum on his shoe. Yeah. But he didn't do that for this show. It It was more like a... Lone wolf and cub mm. type show where he's like protecting a little Princess Leia. <laughs> That's all I got. Okay. We're done with Star Wars. Yay. Are, are you happy? Yes, very. Uh, I'm like, I was trying to think like, okay, what do I want to end this segment with? You know, like mm-hmm. a piece of the score from, from Revenge of the Sith. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. I just want to close out with the Star Wars like credits theme. Okay. You know, like the classic Star Wars credits theme. Just yeah. like, remind people what good Star Wars was, you know? So uh, we're going to close out with, uh, it, so it's a, it's a piece of music from Revenge of the Sith, but it goes into the uh, the classic Star Wars credits music. So it's A New Hope and End Credits is the piece of music. And okay. With, and with that, we'll see you on the other side with Jess's movie of 2005. Let's go. documentary giving you the most in-depth look ever into the Star Wars filmmaking process and two entire levels of the new Battlefront 2 video game. The saga is now complete. Buy Star Wars Episode 3 on DVD Tuesday. that banjo music we're coming in with it's some good banjo music it's like one of the most the only songs from this movie score that i could use to open the segment with why i don't know the other ones are just very ambient ah. that's the end credits theme from jess's movie of 2005 which is it's it's got space sounds and banjo sounds so it can only be one thing muppets in space
Premiering August 22nd, 2005, starring Nathan Fillion, Gina Torres, Alan Tudyk, Marina Baccarin, Adam Baldwin, Sean Mayer, Summer Glau, and Chiwetel Ejiofor, written and directed by Joss Whedon. That is Serenity. movie of the year best sci-fi movie of the year no no i said what i said <laughs> it's pretty good yeah uh, serenity it's the the sequel movie to the 2002 television show firefly can a movie be a sequel what's well, like the, to not another movie the film continuation mm. of the show firefly written yes. and directed by joss whedon which we talked about in our 2002 tv episode yes so if you haven't finished watching that show for whatever reason, it's 14 episodes, kid. Watch Firefly, then watch Serenity, then yes. come back and listen to this discussion. Yes. Lots of homework. <laughs> so yeah, tell us tell us what, what the heck is Serenity and why'd you watch it? So, well, I guess I just told you what the heck Serenity was, uh, but why'd you watch it so much? <laughs> Serenity is the continuation of, um, I watched it so much because I liked it. Um, I think that this was around the time I was realizing that I really like an ensemble casts ensemble cast ensemble istanbul cast ensemble ensemble casts and um i i didn't know it well i didn't necessarily know it at the time retrospectively i'm like oh yeah this is kind of my my thing i like a lot of distinct not necessarily quirky characters but if they've got quirks they've got quirks like uh we're all human we've got our own little things uh, our own idiosyncrasies and it was just a fun romp i don't know i watched it a lot because it was good i believe you told me in our podcast on firefly that you watched the movie first yep i had never heard of the show i just this was also during a time well not 2005 but uh that's a year we're in right mm -hmm. not 2005 but by 2007 or 8 i was in college well i was in college for both of them and around that time i had um money to burn i did not kids use your your college loans very responsibly i was i had a lot of money for the first time and i would just literally go to target or walmart or somewhere that has like a bunch of movies in a bin and, or like hey and i would just like that looks interesting and much like i did do with books i would just pick them up i would like pick up whole series i would pick up whatever i wanted like that's that that's honestly going to be a trend moving forward we're like, why did you even come? It was on a shelf and it had um, a very nice cover. And yes, I judge a book and a movie by its cover. You know why? Somebody worked really hard on that cover and it deserves some respect. And so I just picked it up and I was like watching it. I watched it in school. I was like, this is really good. And then I took it home for a holiday or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, uncle, name redacted. <laughs> I think you would really like this. Watch this with me. And as soon as we put it on, my uncle's like, what, what, what? Because he had watched Serenity. Firefly. He had watched Firefly while it was on air and had been really mad. He was like, there's a movie. Ah! And it was like uh, really cool to be able to see that. I couldn't see. I didn't wasn't able to watch the TV show until like a little while later when uh, Netflix got the rights to it. Uh, but yeah, that's my history i guess i think i mentioned this when we talked firefly but it's a tragedy that your your uncle hadn't heard of serenity because he is the market yeah for someone who watched firefly and enjoyed it yeah the fact that he didn't even know that there was a movie out is a real problem it's the problem is always fox 
was nope. NBC? No, Fox sold the rights to uh, Firefly Wholesale to, uh, we'll talk about it, all who right. made this movie. So mm. Fox does not own Firefly anymore. Whoa, okay, well. Can Which is why I that? believe uh, Disney doesn't have the rights to it now. Uh, uh, it's, it's held by Universal Studios. Mm, they should do something with that. They should. <laughs> Briefly, because I hadn't seen this movie before. Um, just like I hadn't seen Firefly before, but mm-hmm. I rem- like it, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, I kept hearing the name Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. All the podcasts I was listening to, he was the darling <laughs> of those people. Darling Josh. It was like all his shows were getting canceled, like Dollhouse. Oh yeah, which I, also a good show, though I did only watch the first season. Then he, you start hearing about things that he wrote or directed that were like internet darlings. Things like Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. I really enjoy that. Cabin in the Woods. Nope. And then the the kicker was he was announced to be the writer-director of The Avengers. Yeah. And I remember when The Avengers came out and was a success, and everyone was saying, there's no way they're going to be able to pull this off with all mm. these characters. No way. Um, how, how are you going to be able to introduce like a cast of eight effectively, quickly? And it's like, well, they ca- they got Joss Whedon. He's the perfect guy because that's exactly what he did in Literally Serenity. Literally his bread and butter. It's like, here, let's take an ensemble cast with a bunch of ca- kooky characters and introduce in a single scene, introduce all of them quickly, effectively, and tell you exactly who they are, what they're up to, what their personality is, uh, even for people who haven't seen the, the source material. Before it, yep. And yeah, source material or anything that came before it. Yeah, honestly... It's what he was made for. If, if you ever wondered why Joss Whedon was the guy to get the Avengers off the ground, watch Serenity. Yeah. It's like yeah. his resume. It Yeah. It's so good. Seriously, kids, watch it. I remember when we went through this the first time when we weren't recording it as a podcast and just doing it as a couple's fun. Um, I think that we were watching this part through COVID, right? Maybe. Yeah, we were like burning through them. And I remember being like, oh, yeah, before we watch uh, our Serenity, we have to finish Firefly. And we, I watch TV um, like an obsessive person. I will sit and I will watch hours and finish something that is 24 episodes with an hour each long in two days. I will do it. Can't, I will do it because I love it. That's how it. I love. He does not. And it's like, we already watched that an episode of that this week. I don't want to watch another one. It's like sometimes a day and a, an episode a day is okay. Yeah. Um, but you do have to be in the mood like, eh, I don't really want to watch that. Blah, blah, blah. So it, Serenity is only 14 episodes. But by the time we... Uh, Firefly. Oh, dang it. Firefly is only 14 episodes. But by the time we got to... Uh, around to needing to watch Serenity, we hadn't finished Firefly. And I was like, nope, full stop. We will not be watching this until you finish because I wanted your perspective of watching it in its quote unquote intended order. Whereas I did it backwards um, because I just, the experience is fun. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to see Firefly to see Serenity. You're not missing like crucial plot points or anything like that. Agreed. But it is, it's a great show. So it you is. should just watch it. Yeah, you should. You should just watch it. And with that, I can tell you, how Serenity was made. All right. Joss, he fought. He fought hard. He he. I think he cashed in all his uh, his Buffy like chips mm. on, on this. He's like, this like, is the one. This is my baby. I want it to be done right. All his goodwill that he had built up with Buffy and Angel. He's like, I need this. And then they didn't promote it. <laughs> As we talked about in our 2002 TV episode, the sci-fi western series Firefly, created by Joss Whedon was canceled by Fox 
after only 11 of its 14 completed episodes that aired, with poor ratings cited as the reason. And they also played those episodes out of order, yep. including playing what was intended to be the first episode as the last episode. So stupid. So dumb. That's so dumb. Sorry, it makes me mad again. Continue. Let's not let's not rehash. <laughs> the remaining three episodes eventually aired on the Sci-Fi Channel, exclusively in the United Kingdom, in 2003, a year later. And this this right here is why my uncle had no idea. American. He probably, he probably hadn't even seen those episodes. American fans had no way to watch them. Ugh. It makes me so mad. Stop gatekeeping fun things. Freaking corporations. Fans of the show, dubbed Browncoats, thus organized online to launch a campaign to try and save the show. Efforts included raising money for an ad in Variety magazine and, after the show was canceled, launching a postcard writing campaign to convince network UPN to pick up the show. Because hmm. UPN, I think, had Star Trek at the time. Ah. And they were doing a pretty good work, so. Yeah. It's one of those cable networks. They're like, come on, save it. Yeah, I remember UPN. I, I don't know if they would have taken on two Trekkie shows, though. Well, they didn't. <laughs> hey, they didn't. While the campaign failed. You don't it, have to say that with a smirk. It did directly lead to the DVD release of Firefly in late 2003. Hey, we finally got our episodes. Yep. That DVD release sold out in less than 24 hours after Dang. the pre-order announcement. Dang. And they had the episodes in the correct order? Yes. I Sweet. So. While all this was going down. Joss Whedon was working in the background to sell studios on a film continuation of the show. Mm. He contacted producer Barry Mendel, who was working at Universal Studios, and flat out asked him for a way to continue the series as a film, even as a low-budget television film. Mm. He was that desperate. Yeah. Oh, he just wanted his creation. To, that, I... Mm, he that knew resonates. he had magic. Huh? He knew he had something magic That's on his hands. That's true. But it also just resonates with me, the thing where you're like doing something and you're like, please just let me finish. Please just let me finish. Like almost when you're when you're like taking a test and you've got like three minutes left and there are like it's time and you just have you have the last part of this question. You're like, just oh, my gosh, just let me finish. Please just let me finish. Yep. In early September 2004, a film deal with Universal was publicly announced, with Universal acquiring the rights to Firefly itself shortly before the confirmation. Hey. Whedon felt that the strong sales of the Firefly DVD informed Universal's willingness to make the deal. So good job, Browncoats. Yeah. In what Whedon called, quote, the easiest process in terms of dealing with a studio he had ever encountered, Universal maintained faith in Whedon's vision, provided an adequate budget, and approved bringing back the show's cast. So that's good. My gosh, could you imagine if they hadn't? Like, okay, we're going to let you do this, but I think we need a younger Nathan Fillion. We need Brendan Fraser to play <laughs> to play Nathan, uh, to Here, play Malcolm Reynolds. Here's the thing. I like you, Brendan Fraser, and you're not a bad actor. You actually do a lot of really, really good things. If anyone other than Nathan Fillion played Malcolm Reynolds, the world would riot. It's bringing a... Uh... Jada Pinkett Smith to play Zoe. <laughs> or Let, you need to stop the recast. It's Dwayne The Rock Johnson will play uh, Jane. <laughs> You're making me legitimately angry. <laughs> We're going to stop now. Oh my gosh. Ugh. After Universal acquired the film rights from Fox, Whedon began writing the screenplay, basing it on original story ideas for Firefly's unfilmed second season. Mm. He titled the film Serenity in an attempt to distance it from the show. 
The initial draft was 190 pages long, which is very long. Yeah. That's like over a page three, a minute. That's over three hours long. Yeah. Uh, before Whedon and Mendel cut it down to a length appropriate under their budget constraints. Yeah. Can can we have? Hey, Joss, you're not doing anything with that script, right? Can you publish it? I will read it as a fan fiction. We'll have to Google and see if it's out there. The Titan script and budget were submitted to Universal on a Friday. And the following Monday morning, Stacy Snyder, head of Universal, called Mendel and officially greenlit the project. Yeah. Serenity was filmed over a period of 50 10-hour days, which is very Joss Whedon. Uh, no wonder they look so tired and haggard and greasy. Yeah, it was between June and September 2004. Holy, um, holy. Speaking of, I should just say this. Uh, Joss Whedon's kind of in movie jail right now for, mm -hmm. for like unprofessional conduct on the set specifically for the justice league like everyone in the justice league who worked with him when he had he had to come in and do reshoots mm -hmm. said they hate like they hate him mm -hmm. uh, he was rude and mean and cruel and then other people who have worked with him in the past said he's cruel and mean and unprofessional oh really um everyone in the firefly cast has nothing but good things to say about him so maybe he's just like these are his people but uh i just wanted to point that out joss whedon you know he's he's come under fire recently so you know, the man, the, you can have faults and uh, you can still make good art. Yeah, I am absolutely not excusing any of these things. That's not what I'm going to say. But mm, he's about to be 60. That feels like here. I'm, I'm not trying to be ageist or anything. We, maybe we'll cut this, actually. Not to be ageist or anything like that. But even us in our 30s, there are some stuff where we're like, I have to actively be like, that is not OK. That is a, a thing that I used to do. Hmm, not okay. Um, so part of it, I was like, oh, that probably has something to do with it. Absolutely not an excuse. But I literally, when it was just like, he's rude. And Crotchy was like, how old is he? Oh, he's probably like these kids on this set doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, ugh, that crotchety behavior. But the other cast has nothing bad to say. You're right. Maybe they are his people. I mean, there are people who are my people who like me a lot and people who are not my people who can't stand me. <laughs> I think it also might come down to the fact that he has more power now in Hollywood or did when he mm -hmm. made the Justice League, you know? Yeah. He yeah. was the Avengers Ego. guy at that point. Ego. Yeah. Ego so. is definitely a destroyer of homes and hearts. Yeah. So we don't excuse anything Joss Whedon's done. Just point that out. In April 2005, Universal launched a three-stage grassroots marketing campaign, which I think maybe they thought was going to help the movie. Maybe it helped get the brown coats in the door, mm -hmm. but it certainly did not help the general audience. <laughs> the... Uh your uncles the of the Republic. world. <laughs> a rough cut of the film was previewed in a total of 35 American cities where Firefly received its highest Nielsen ratings. Hmm. So all of the cities where there were a lot of Firefly fans, they got to see the movie before it came out. Ah. Uh, so they weren't going to the theater to they see it They weren't going to go see it again. On they might have. Some might have. Yeah. The screenings did not bear the name of the film. And relied on word of mouth within the fan base pr for promotion. Mm. All screenings taking place from May to June sold out in less than 24 hours, sometimes in as quickly as five minutes. Goodness. A final screening was held at Comic-Con International, followed by a panel with Whedon and the cast. So you just gave it to everybody? Correct. For free. Okay, Comic-Con's not free, but still. Yeah, you gave it to the Comic-Con crowd. Uh, your most devoted fans, you gave it to them for free, which I understand that's cool, but th those people aren't going to go to the theater now. Yeah, I would. Those are the people <laughs> you. Those are the people you. You needed that money. That was your guaranteed money right there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you didn't promote it any other way. Probably like lightly, you know, TV spots, radio. Did you find a preview? Yeah, but I'm sure they're out there. We have previews for Star Wars in this show, but... Serenity had its world premiere at the Edinburgh International Film Festival on August 22nd, 2005. The premiere sold out, so the festival arranged two more screenings on April 24th, which also sold out, and for screening in the Best of the Fest lineup on August 28th. So it's like, at least like, it's just getting sold out every time it's going yeah. out there, so maybe they had like high hopes for this movie, but... Uh, but like, you gave it away before the wide release. Yep. Because imagine like the buzz this movie would have got as like, oh, it just premiered. It's number one on the charts or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, at the box office. Yeah. News reports are going to start reporting on it. But yeah. everyone who wants to see it has seen it. Yeah. And there's no internet yet to actively be like, oh, my gosh, go and see this. <laughs> well, there was. there, But like not to the amount that it is currently. Yeah. Kind of thing. People on MySpace would have been talking about it. Yeah. MySpace. <laughs> was but, your uncle on MySpace? No. <laughs> And I think, like, it makes me, it, it, like, is very much like the room in. Virality, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, like, the room was not great <laughs> uh, and also didn't get a lot. And it was just like a slow, absolutely slow build to it. And that's what it feels like here. Like, there was, it was very, like, word of mouth, but everybody you were going to talk to about it. Like, what, this 2005? No offense, but nerd crap wasn't cool. Like. <laughs> yeah, not, I mean. Star Wars was big. Yeah, Star Wars is mainstream stuff. And specifically for kids. It's like the people going for that are like children or adults who watched it in the 70s, right? Uh, And whereas this is like, if you're going around talking about like, oh yeah, that Star Wars thing, fine. But like talking to people who are not into sci-fi things about like, hey, there's this really cool... um, show in space about like confederates <laughs> who rob places <laughs> like uh it's just a tragedy that's all yeah. i can say it's it's unfortunate all right last thing serenity's marketing campaign also included a viral web series of shorts titled F- season 416 also known as the r tam sessions oh a total of five short videos were anonymously released by whedon through various websites and message boards in august and september 2005 I've never seen those. They're on the DVD, apparently. So, I may have seen those. I don't think I have the DVD anymore. But like that—that's cool, you know. Yeah. Like they're people making use of the internet, you know. Like yeah. ARG, alternate reality game stuff. I like that. We, they did that for Lost. We talked about that. What's Lost? It was a show we talked about <laughs> on, our, on our 2004 TV episode. Ah, yeah, yeah, I remember. Go and listen, to that kid. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like it, the internet used to be fun, you know. <laughs> the internet is still fun. Internet used to be fun and didn't have a, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's still fun pockets amongst all the terrible pockets. You don't see a lot of like film studios investing in viral marketing anymore. At least I don't. You do. Not. There is though. <laughs> okay. In that You're case, not on those viral platforms. I guess not. In that case, uh, let's let's talk about this movie. Cause I got I got uh I got clips for all the characters. All right. And I want to like we're gonna I want you to you know list off the characters. We'll talk about these people, but. I want to mention, I have clips for all the characters. Most of these clips for the main cast are in, they come from a like single five minute scene at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> it is a one, sh- this is one of those things where I said, this is why Joss Whedon got the job doing the Avengers. Mm-hmm. It is a, sing- a single shot 
introduction of the entire crew, like because the the main characters they're they're People space ship. they're space pirates on a, on a you know spaceship bandits. <laughs> they're space bandits. There you go. Um, and they got a you know the the crew has a a the crew is a collective of interesting unique people okay and this single shot again it's i mean they they hide the cuts but it's mm. presented as a single one shot yeah it introduces the entire cast effectively tells you what you know and you very easily understand this is this person this is what they're about this is what their personality is mm-hmm. um so i have most of my introduction clips for each character come from that single shot okay and i just wanted to highlight not only the characters but how effective joss whedon is at introducing his characters quickly, succinctly, effectively. Okay. I'm going to try to go in what I think is the order. Do it. Uh, which means Shepard Book is coming way last. Um, so we are going to start with Malcolm Reynolds. And? Oh, you want both. Malcolm, Malcolm, Re- Malcolm, Re- Malcolm Reynolds and Washbourne. I can't remember his first name. Yeah, well, if he doesn't give us some extra flow from the engine room to offset the burn through, this landing is going to get pretty interesting. Defying interesting. Oh, God, oh, God, we're all going to die? <laughs> this is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. Can you see the vector? I'm doing it. It's not enough. Now just get us on the ground. That part will happen pretty definitely. <laughs> so that was, uh, yeah, Malcolm Reynolds and Hoban Washburn. There you go. Hoban. Ca- uh, we call him Wash. We call him Wash. Wash it's Mal-, Mal and Wash. Mal and Wash. Mal and Wash. Wash and Mal. Mal is the captain of this here ship, this here boat, and um, Wash is the pilot. And you can tell that Wash is a you know he's a bit kooky. Mm-hmm. He's comedic. Cracks jokes even when they might <laughs> die. Oh God! Oh God! We're all gonna die. Get us on the ground. Uh, that's definitely gonna happen. <laughs> It's, this movie starts the same way that Revenge of the Sith did, where a spaceship has to make a crash landing on a planet. That's true. Who did it better? Washburn. Yeah, he did. Another happy landing. Oh, my gosh. Um, And then from here, we exit the cockpit and we go into the hallway where we meet our second in command, Zoe. We- and? Is Jane out there, too? Yep. Zoe and Jane. We're going to explode? I don't want to explode. Jane, how many weapons you plan on taking? You only got the two arms. Well, I just get excitable as a choice. like to have my options open. I don't plan on any shooting taking place during this job. Yeah, well, what you plan and what takes place ain't ever exactly been similar. No grenades. Huh? Aww. No grenades. We crashing again? Talk to your husband. Meal prepped? Good to go, sir. Just loading her up. Uh, Jane, the boy called Jane, is the mercenary on board. He's the muscle. He's the guy with so many guns. He's a meathead. So many guns. He's He's endearingly stupid he that is that is true if you haven't watched the show (laughs) do it um but you see a a lot you see a lot more of his character i think in the show than in here but he still shines through so well uh and then zoe washborn is the second in the command to the captain they uh have been together a long time as captain and and first mate first mate they uh they were in the war together. together yeah yeah Confederate. They were brown coats, guys. Uh, there's no way we can't say it. they're they're Confederates. <laughs> they, f- they fought on the rebel side in the Civil War, basically. Yeah. And the, so they they have a long history. Uh, this this sequence probably does Zoe the dirtiest. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get a lot of screen time. Like you you hear Jane exchange with uh, Mal there. Yeah. You know exactly what Jane's personality is. Mm-hmm. Zoe is just very. Yeah. She's she's a she's a 
committed member of the crew. Yeah, in this know. in this particular uh, scene, uh, I, and I think you're right. Like it is like, oh, that was very small, and she's on. You like, you know, she's a committed member of the queue crew she's like orderly and um her husband is driving the ship that's what you learn here it's all business so i have one more clip of zoe from later on okay yeah because i was gonna say zoe's a lot though so they're preparing to do a job because they're space bandits they're constantly poor that's what the show's about it's like they constantly need money and Mm -hmm. they need to do jobs like you know stealing things they got a powerful need to eat they're like robin hoods Mm -hmm. stealing from the rich and giving to the poor they are the poorest though So they do this job where they essentially rob a saloon. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the. It's oh wait in here. Yeah, that's a bank. Oh, it's a bank. It's a full-on bank. Okay, so they rob a bank in like you know a western town, space western town, and mm-hmm. Zoe. It's, it's a stick up, you know. So they come in, they're like, "It's a stick up. Everyone get down on the ground," you know. Yeah. And Zoe approaches a guy who is trying to reach for a gun that's on the ground. You mm-hmm. know, the guy's trying to be a hero. Right. You know what the definition of a hero is? Someone who gets other people killed. We can look it up later. So you learn that Zoe's just, you know, she's a she's a rough customer. She is a rough customer. She takes no nonsense. She's all business. I'm just gonna stop one second to think through this line because I thought of it when we were talking when we watched it before, but like hearing it isolated, my brain is like, they were heroes in the war. <laughs> they got people killed. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Yeah, Zoe's Zoe's awesome. Zoe is awesome. We love Zoe. She's a tough lady. She's a tough lady. I dressed as her for Halloween one year. I was not at school. (laughs) Who's next? We're going to go down to the engine room and meet Kaylee. Kaylee, what in the spectra hell are you playing at? We got the primary buffer panel coming right up. Everything's shiny, Captain. Up to Fred. You told me those entry couplings would hold for another week. That was six months ago, Captain. My ship don't crash. She crashes. You crashed her. <laughs> Kaylee is like an adorable gearhead who works in the. Uh, she 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 keeps the the ship running essentially. Yes, absolutely. She, she's a computer whiz or or she's an engine whiz. Mm-hmm. I love like even of seeing this right now or listening to it right now. Like every moment is introducing a character, but it's also using Mal as the foil. It's reflecting to... Mal's personality yeah. on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll definitely talk more about him at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, like Kaylee is great gal. Great gal. She's very sweet. Also very strong because mechanic, my guy. Uh, very smart. Yep. I cannot remember if next is Simon or next is Inara. Well, Inara's not even on the ship. Oh, you're right. My brain. You're right. So next is Simon. <laughs> Doctor, guess I need to get a knock before we hit planet side. Bit of a rockety ride. Nothing to be worried about. I'm not worried. Fear's nothing to be ashamed of, Doctor. This isn't fear. This is anger. Well, kind of hard to tell one from the other, face like yours. Well, I imagine if it were fear, my eyes would be wider. Hmm. I'll keep a lookout for that next time. So silly. So uh, Simon's very serious. He is serious. And Simon. he's a doctor. He's a serious Simon doctor. Serious Simon the surgeon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Say that five times fast. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. He obviously, uh, as much as like Mal is talking to his crew and being like jokey and jovial, even as he's like, "Do not let my ship crash." <laughs> uh, it, it's really easy to see like. Simon doesn't have any of it. He does not reflect back any of that. He like stops it completely. And you you hear in Mal's voice as he like uh, ticks lower. 
People criticize Joss Whedon for having like all his characters sound the same. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that's it's it's low hanging hanging fruit for people who want to criticize Joss Whedon Mm -hmm. and criticize Hollywood because everyone sounds like Joss Whedon characters now. Uh. Like it's the you know, it's the fad thing. Yeah. You know, but you, you hear Simon. It's like Simon. He's a Joss Whedon character, but he doesn't talk like the cliche Joss yeah. Whedon type. You know, he doesn't quip. He's very serious. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because he's confronted by all these other people who do quip. Yeah. Like and, Mal quips. Yeah. And it actually is really interesting because when he does quip, it is not like. It's bad. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> oh, it's kind of hard. Your face looks the same. Well, I feel like my eyes would be wider. And you're like, uh, bro. <laughs> and it. In in its that in itself is a charm and a, a distinction in its own. And and just to remind you, this entire sequence, all these different characters have been shown to you as a single uninterrupted shot. Mm-hmm. The they've followed Mal around as he goes from character to character. The camera is dynamic. Mm-hmm. It shakes a lot because you hear the you know the ship moving around. Yeah, you actually get to see the space, the practical of it all, like this built space that oh, is yeah. the ship. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. And we talk. Okay, I actually have a, a factoid here about the ship because ah. I had said I was like, "Oh, they just used the same set from the show. How cost effective?" Mm-hmm. That's not true. <gasps> from the L.A. Times, the production expected to save money by reusing the Serenity ship from the Firefly TV show, mm-hmm. but the set was not available. Instead, the ship was rebuilt using DVD images of the television series as a guide. Why was it unavailable? I don't know. Did Fox say you can have the show, but you can't have maybe, my, maybe my they, set? Yeah, they dismantled it. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Goodness. So they they, they recreated that ship meticulously because it looks yeah. exactly the same. It really does. And it's dirty. <laughs> Lived in. And well, last, okay. there, there's one more character in the crew mm-hmm. who does not have a very good introduction in the scene because mm-hmm. she doesn't talk. Uh, and that is... River Tam. River Tam is... Uh, I'll... I have like a clip from earlier in the movie of mm-hmm. characters talking about River. River Tam is our star pupil. I've heard that. She'll be ideal for defense deployment, even with the side effects. Tell me about them. Well, obviously, she's unstable. The neural stripping does tend to fragment their own reality matrix. Manifests as borderline What schism. use do we have for a psychic if she's insane? She's not just a psychic. Given the right trigger, this girl is a living weapon. So there you go. She's been experimented on by the government. Yeah. So she's psychic. She's, but it's left her a little kooky, a little crazy. Yeah. Um, I think that might be a good place to hop in about just the quick plot summary for this. Well, uh, before I do that, I have one more clip from Simon in that opening oneer. Mm-hmm. Um, because Malcolm is, they're doing this robbery. Right. And they're taking River along mm-hmm. because River is psychic and can see things. You yeah. Know? So she'll be able to kind of like reveal where the secret vault is. Yeah. And and Simon's having none of it. That's why he's angry. Mm-hmm. That's why he's showing That's anger. That's why his eyes are not wider. <laughs> Treating bullet holes, knife wounds, laser burns. Some of our jobs are more interesting than others. And you want to put my sister in the middle of that? Didn't say what. Said will. One job, Doc. She'll be fine. She's a 17-year-old girl. A mentally traumatized 17- She's a reader. Sees into the truth of things. Might see trouble before it's coming, which is of use to me. And that's your guiding star, isn't it? Yeah, River and Simon are brother and sister. Yeah. Simon Tam, River Tam. I was going to say, um, in, I remember in elementary school, like they were trying to teach us about characterization. Mm-hmm. You know, the different ways that uh, a novel might characterize uh, its 
characters, <laughs> you know, right? Um, it's protagonists and, and so on. And they taught us things like, oh, you know, they, they do so through dialogue. They do so through uh, description. They do so through action. Mm -hmm. This sequence has so many ways to characterize its cast. Mm -hmm. You know, characters talking about one another, the, the tone of voice they take with each other. Um, like Malcolm, like, you know, we heard from him in almost every exchange, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I know exactly the kind of guy he is, you know, right. he's a stern leader. He's also, you know, kind of laid back if he needs to. But mm -hmm. like that little exchange where he says, and you're going and you was it you you plan to take my sister out there? I'm not. I didn't say I plan to. I said I will. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And even like as much as he like. Uh, yeah, it's so good. And then like being able to see the levels of it because it's just like, yeah, he's stern and, and he's like playful and stuff. But like a little bit later in that same clip, uh, Simon is basically like. Absolutely not. No, I refuse. You cannot. You will not be taking my sister. And he turns on him and the music characterizes this moment, the silence that it gets, the like intensity in his face. And he said, and he's like, you think you can tell me what to do on my boat? <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's just, I think we had said this about Firefly or we said this when we were watching the movie the last time, like this movie should be studied. <laughs> It in should film, be in film this, courses. Th this scene should be studied. Yeah. This is a masterclass. Yeah. And how it's on exposition. Yeah. It does so so effectively and quickly. Mm -hmm. Like there, it does there, not a not a spare moment in this scene. It's mm -hmm. like literally five minutes long, and you learn about every single person, and you you connect with them. Yeah. You know what they're all about, mm -hmm. and it's the it's the same thing with like you know the first twenty minutes of the Avengers. Yeah. You like you learn who the superheroes are, you know what their thing is, how they feel about what's happening, their relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. But in this one, though, is better than Avengers in that in the sense that or not better. It's got a leg up in that in the Avengers. It's a bunch of new people meeting and having feelings on something, whereas this is a bunch of people who know each other well and have different relationships with each other. Yeah. Uh, and like that, that is even shown, like how Mal switches between stuff, uh, how he feels about people. And then even just after that, when they all come together, how they each treat each other differently. Right. Like, yep. because I treat you differently as my husband than I do, um, our friends that live upstairs, uh, because that's a different relationship and you two treat each other different than you treat me. Um, and it's just so well done. So well crafted. It is. And that's a good segue because another thing to praise about the scene is it's so visually interesting. Yeah. It is fun to watch and it is quite a departure from what we talked about with Star Wars. They're both walking in hallways. In both movies, they're walking in hallways. Walking and talking through a hallway. And yet... <laughs> There's so much more energy in Serenity than in Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith feels like they're walking through water... In comparison to this, remember, it's like we must act quickly, right? <laughs> they, they don't even same space, and they don't even you know walk at what could be considered a, a you know a brisk pace. Yeah, here like there's energy. He's walking at a brisk pace because mm -hmm. they're going to die. Yeah, like the ship might crash or explode. Yeah, he's like doing that thing when you like pull yourself up steps, like you hold the rails and you're skipping steps to get up quicker. Like 
the camera's moving, the people are moving, they're bumping into each other, they're like keeping space from each other, they're doing things with their hands. When Jane's talking about it, he's like looking at Mal, but he has like six guns in his hand and a grenade, and Mal is like walking past him while he's fumbling, and then as that happens, like Zoe crosses as well. We have three people in frame, and then we're switching off, moving the camera, moving. It's so much more visually interesting. George Lucas, you can't pull this off if you're gonna sit in front of a monitor and drink your coffee, okay? Yeah. <laughs> with A camera, B camera. Here, there was just A camera, but it like takes the form of like A to Z camera. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so, as we discuss the story, as you said we should do, um, I want to highlight Joss Whedon's direction and his dialogue. You mm -hmm. know how he how he shoots and presents dialogue scenes because yeah. this movie is a lot of that. There's there is fun, intense action mm -hmm. in in that realm maybe revenge of the sith did it better because mm -hmm. the effects the effects look nicer right you know and it's a little bit more slick because you know uh industrial light and magic was able to like you know achieve like pristine action sequences in a computer yeah they had the budget to do that serenity right. didn't but at the same time you maybe connect more with the characters of mm -hmm. the action scenes in serenity than and you do with revenge of the sith and it feels far more lived in because even though the like the graphics uh, aren't the best. A lot of it's practical. So much of it's practical. Yeah. Maybe a little bit too practical because there's several things being like, mm, that's just the high desert. <laughs> yeah, so they're just filming in freaking Antelope Valley. <laughs> um, but I want to focus on the dialogue scenes because as kinetic and you know fun as the swashbuckling action mm -hmm. scenes are in Serenity, they're equally as engaging as the dialogue scenes yeah. because Joss Whedon knows dialogue. So that's what I really want to focus on as we lay yeah. out the plot of this movie. But I'm down. I, I was, I'll follow your lead. Sweet. I was going to say, like, um, we didn't understand chemistry. And I think that that has a lot to do with why his writing is so good. Like, I think we may have talked about in the Firefly episode what casting looked like, like how they got cast. But none of these would read as good if the cast didn't have the energy and the connection and the chemistry that they do. Correct. But um, this story, just because uh, I, I want to do it justice considering how hard Josh put Josh, considering how hard Josh pushed to get this baby made um, and the story he wanted to tell, he wanted to tell his season two. And so we start off where if, if you haven't watched Firefly, I mean, you don't have to, but seriously you should getting an answer to, the big why mystery. is why is River Tam this way? Um, because she is she is broken. She is quote unquote crazy. She is um, a lot of things. <laughs> like I, I can't even put into words. Like she's a lot um, and very very broken. And if we start, we open this movie in a sterile um, laboratory where she is being tested on. Yeah, tortured really. Tortured. Yep, tested is definitely not the word. Tortured. Um, to further the, what is it? Not the Republic. What is the name? The, cent the Alliance. The Alliance. To, to further the Alliance understanding of how humans can work. And also, you know, psychics. Um, and we get like a really brutal view and a, a better understanding as to why Simon is so protective. It's not just like, oh, my sister's um, on the spectrum and she was never treated right and uh, our parents don't really understand uh so i ran off with her so that she could have a good life 
on the run as a bandit. <laughs> but very much like, because that's not even the first scene, right? The first scene, and I'm not going to go scene by scene, I'm so sorry. But the first scene is like River Tam as a little girl sitting in class, like being told Alliance Alliance history. <laughs> and um, in the dream, her teacher presses a needle into her head and she wakes up in this chair. And you see that like, everything is always happening at once for her. And, um, and in the same thing that you played, the clip that you played about people talking about her as the scientists talking about all the things that they've done to her. She made her a weapon, yeah. To make her a weapon, to make this little girl a weapon. And I think in lore, she's been there since she was 12. She's 17. And the person that they're talking to is Simon. Simon busts her out, you know, that, that, I mean, that this all happens before even the start of the television show. Yeah. Because on the show, they're on the run. Yes. And the, for the entire run of Firefly, Simon and River are on the run and it gets them, it gets the whole crew in trouble because yeah. like G-men from the Alliance keep trying to track them down. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody understands why. And Simon is very close mouth about it. And then right off the bat, you get, you get this. Um, and then in that same moment, uh, after he bl- breaks her out and he runs, uh, we meet our antagonist. Our bad guy for the movie. Is he a bad guy? Yeah. I'm not a good guy, Mal. <laughs> what's uh, what's his name? Uh, he's simply known as The Operative. The Operative, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. Forgive me, but I prefer to see the event alone without bias. I need to see your clearance. And you are right to insist. Parliamentary override. Full access. Apologies. An operative of the parliament will, of course, have full cooperation. I'm not sure what... I I see no listing of rank or or name. I have neither. Like this facility, I don't exist. He's like the true G-man. He's a ghost. He's such a cool villain. Yeah, he is. He's so cool. Um, Like, Chiwetel Ejiofor is also a great actor. And he he plays this character, like, to a T. So good. I want to focus on, like... His relationship with Malcolm later, because mm-hmm. I feel like they're great foils for each other. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, it's like, you're not so different. You, you know, yeah. we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> but it's perfectly done because they are like so similar, but also the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're the opposite where it counts. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about that later. But yeah. I have a few more clips of the operative if you want to hear okay, this, I do. this introduction. I do. But before I want to say one thing that I definitely said when we were watching the movie. Anytime I see Chiwetel in a movie, I'm like, ah, oh, he's the bad guy. I've never seen him play a good guy. When we, when I watched Doctor Strange for the first time, I was like, oh, he's the villain. Uh, and I was like, no, he's not the villain. He's like doing X, Y, and Z. He's learning with Strange. He's doing, I was like, nope, that man's the bad guy. And guess what? Guess what? <laughs> he turned out to be the bad guy. That man does not play. He always has, he always has a, a, a turn at some point, but he will always be the big bad. I think he's the good guy in 12 Years of Slave. I have never seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. <laughs> okay, uh, here, here's more. So he's the operative, and you know, he's investigating the, the the prison break of River Tam. He's trying to track her down. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a, he's he's all business, this guy. Like, yeah. He is like. So cool. He's a man. He's, he's got like a weird code of ethics. You know, he's like almost like a space samurai. Yeah. Un- not unlike uh, Darth Vader, who's also a space samurai. But he's like this scientist let this, you know, living weapon escape. Mm-hmm. He needs to be punished. Yep. You know, in certain older civilized cultures, 
When men failed as entirely as you have, they would throw themselves on their swords. Well, unfortunately, I forgot to bring a sword. I would put that down right now if I were Would you, you be killed in your sleep like an alien pet? He's got a sword. Ooh. He's like, you gonna fall on your sword? Uh, follow my sword. He's so cool and well written. This is the way villains should be. Okay. <laughs> in in fiction. <laughs> in literature. I got the kill scene if you want to hear that too. Let's. Where he, where he kills a scientist with a sword. Let's do it. I want to hear what it sounds like. <sighs> This is a good death. There's no shame in this. In a man's death, a man who has done fine works. We're making a better world. All of them. Better worlds. It's like he's, again, he's like got this weird code of ethics where it's like, there is such a thing as a noble death, even for a failure who is being yeah. punished. It's like, no, no, you've, You've done great work, and you, you know, this is a this is a good death. Yeah, I think the thing that I like about him, and this is also the thing that, like, I when I said like, oh, Thanos is one of my favorite villains. Um, it's the conviction. You know, he thinks he's right. Yeah. Yes, and there's something about like looking at someone and knowing like this is not only insane, this is dangerous and detrimental, but your conviction, one, chills, terrifying, but two. That's, respect that. that's funny. I'm going to go back. I'm actually think I might come back to Thanos when we talk more about like the themes of this movie, mm. because uh, Joss Whedon did not write the uh, Infinity War movie, but they they cover similar themes mm -hmm. about society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good story. Um, yeah. So that is our operative, um, our main antagonist. He's hunting. Yeah. Uh, the, I would say the bad guy is the alliance. The big bad is the alliance, but the operative is our our main antagonist. He's like the, the surrogate for the alliance. Yeah, he's 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 the weapon. <laughs> so yeah, so those are we we have um, two more characters that are part of the main cast that we haven't mentioned yet. They are off. They are on world. They are not on the boat uh, with everyone. We will come to them. Yep. Um, but. Uh, the main story. So all of this takes place, all the stuff that we just discussed takes place before the TV show, but also probably like maybe a year or two. No, it's a, it's gotta be a couple months um, before the movie starts. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Because they say that the, the song had been playing for like the last six months or so. Sure. And um, not the, the scene where they're, we met the main crew. Mm -hmm. Like that happens here and now. Yeah. All of the River Tam escaping stuff that happened in the past. Yes, correct. Um, so yeah, we uh, do a job. I don't want to go through all of the plot, uh, but it, are, are there particular scenes that you were like, "This dialogue is so good, we want to be a part of it," or we want to talk through it right now? Yeah, because okay, so they they have the they do this job, mm -hmm. and the job doesn't go well. No. <laughs> what hap What happens? Um, I feel like maybe I should play this just because. Uh, it's important to the plot. Do it. But no, no, go ahead and tell me what happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I just want you to know I'm asking you to do this because I will sit here and describe the entire movie because I love it and I just want to talk about it for four hours. Yep. <laughs> so I need your direction here. Um, so they go and do this job. And while um, Mal is talking with the uh, Alliance soldier that is posted to protect the gold here and talking about like, yeah, I'm just going to shoot you in the leg. So it looks like, you know, you worked for it. Like literally negotiating with this guy about how 
yeah, we're going to steal all these things, but I don't want you to lose your job or like honest, get- honest thieving is what I call it. I got that clip too. <laughs> like Malcolm, I think this reveals more about his character too. He's like, mm. he's an honest thief. Yeah. You all want to be looking very intently at your own belly buttons. As your heads start to rise, violence is going to ensue. Probably guessed we mean to be thieving here, but what we're after is not yours. So let's have no undue fussing. Let's have no undue fussing. Yeah. And he's like telling this guard, he's like, hey, I, I don't want you to lose your job. You got to make it seem like you put up a fight. So yeah. we'll shoot you in the leg. Yeah. But as he's doing that, um, River is having a freak out upstairs because uh, the vault is under the bank. And um, she says the scariest word in this world, Reavers. Help! Reavers! The girl's pitching a fit. They're here. They're coming soon. Get on the mule. Does that... Is that locked from the inside? Huh? Yes. Get everyone upstairs, you get them down here, and you seal it. As long as you got air, you don't open up. You understand? But get them inside the vault! What are Reavers? Reavers? Oh, do you have the dictionary definition? No. Reavers are... Um, you didn't get the, the clip of, of Jane saying the description of them? Uh, well, okay, Jane and uh, Ka- uh, Kaylee talk about it a little bit later. But like, Reavers are men that got to the edge of space and just saw nothing but the black, and the black stared back at them, and they lost all sense. And they go around murdering, killing, eating, and raping people, um, not cutting all up on their faces and stuff, just because the the madness of the black has seeped into them. Oof. So they're just like crazy, like marauders almost. You mm-hmm. know, like they're they they're they're almost zombie like. You know, and they have no, they're completely immoral. Yep. Uh, amoral, I guess. You know, it's like to them, it's like they, they don't, they, they, they're like consumers, yeah. you know, just yeah. like in the worst way possible. So I've never heard them speak. <laughs> they're only ever screaming. So they just like travel, you know, just they drift around. Mm-hmm. And if they come upon a planet with people and food and whatever, they're just like, we're just going to like overtake it. Yep. And they they have no mercy. They they have no reason. Nope. So they're they're almost like the the most intense threat in the movie. Mm-hmm. So when reavers show up, and it you know this this is meant to show you what uh, reavers are at the beginning of the movie, so that you know there's some payoffs later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Malcolm also it shows his uh, compassion. Yeah. For the people he's stealing from. Yeah. He's like, uh, I need to save you. This is really bad. Do not open the door. Yeah. They will kill you. Yeah. And eat you. Yeah. And then even the the per, like person was just like, uh, I can't let other people down here. And the way he went off, like. <laughs> Get them down here. Yeah. Ugh. So uh, they don't stay there. Um, no, we get our first action sequence where they're running. Like the crew is trying to run away from the Reavers, you mm-hmm. know. And on the mule they go, which is basically they're like Humvee or or. De- a- AV. What is what is that? ATV. ATV. It's basically their ATV, <laughs> and they put their stolen goods on it, and off they go back to uh, Serenity, which is the name of not just the movie but their ship. Yeah, their ship is called Serenity, and it was intensely dangerous. And obviously, Simon is like not okay with that because mm-hmm. Mal said nothing's gonna, you know, it's not gonna be any trouble. Yeah, River will be fine, but you know, River almost got. Eaten by Reavers. She's perfectly fine. She swallowed a bug, but she's perfectly fine. So he leaves. like, And that, that's kind of like the catalyst for the rest of the story. It's mm-hmm. like they leave uh, the ship for a little yeah, while. Yeah, at the next port. I want this body. Simon! Need some smoke? Need some 
I'm a hairspray from Riddling with holes, oh, Doctor. One simple job. She'll be fine. She is fine. Except for being still crazy, she's a picture of health. One for River, we'd probably be left there. She felt them coming. Never again. Do you understand me? Seems I remember a talk about you giving orders on my boat. Well, we're off your boat. Just as soon as River gets her share of the bounty. Let's not do anything hasty. No, shiny. We'll be on boat in ten hours' time. You can pick up your earnings and be on your merry. Um, also, just in case I, we didn't say it in the Firefly episode, they get away with so much cussing in the show just because it's <laughs> not in English. They speak a lot of Chinese because this is in the future where, you know, the... The alliance is... Multinational. The Americas and the China. <laughs> so... The idea is they're going to sell their earnings on Beaumont. Not not Beaumont, California. <laughs> <laughs> That's also out in the desert. Now Beaumont, I guess, is like a it's like a Tokyo type planet, it mm -hmm. looks like or something. Something. Yeah, it's like a little neon signs and things. But I don't have clips for this because it's just a bunch of fighting sounds. Mm -hmm. But while on Beaumont trying to sell sell their load, what happens to River? She gets much like we learned at the very beginning. Uh, she runs into a specific trigger <laughs> that turns her from crazy girl into weapon. It's basically like Manchurian candidate. You know, they say the secret words to her mm -hmm. and it, it's through a television advertisement. So yeah. uh, the Alliance has just been like showing the subliminal advertisement uh, to the world on the off chance that River Tam will be present to see it. And then go off and kill everybody in the room. Yep. And she's. <laughs> She turns, it, it's a pretty slick fight scene too, mm -hmm. where she's like, you know, doing wrestling moves and yeah. kung fu. And I'm pretty sure, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm pretty sure River does all her own stunts. I remember us talking about like, she's actually a dancer. I think she is a dancer. Why I don't know if River. she did. I, I wouldn't Summer imagine Gow. she did all her own mm. stunts, but she definitely does the splits and things. Yeah. And she kills everyone in a bar where Mal is trying to sell their bounty yeah. or sell their, their, their goods. I don't think she actually ends up killing anyone. Some people definitely got glass to the head. But for the most part, she just fit, fight the, the fit, fighted them and uh, knocked them out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it freaks out. And, and Simon just so happens to luckily say the, you know, the magic words to pacify her, like put her to sleep. Mm -hmm. And Mal freaks out. And I have this one scene where it's, I called it the dinner table scene. Mm -hmm. Because it it is like Joss Whedon at his best. It is... The whole crew, including Simon and River, who have been taken back in, they, they didn't follow through on their, their leaving plans because, one, they didn't get any money. <laughs> they didn't sell their goods. That's true. And it's Ma and they have River locked up in the, the break mm -hmm. because they don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And you just get a dialogue scene with all the characters. Every in the camera. Have you seen The Avengers? Have you seen The Avengers? The movie The Avengers? <laughs> I have. Written and, and directed might, by Joss Whedon. We might talk about it in a couple of years. There is a scene on the helicarrier where the main Avengers cast are sitting in a laboratory. You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's, it's sort of like a dinner table. Yeah. And they're having an argument. And it's a very intense argument. And it's a dynamic one where the camera's moving around and it's showing all the characters. Mm -hmm. And it's almost presented as a one shot. And you hear, you get every character's personality. It's so well done in that movie. This is that version mm -hmm. in Serenity. What in the hell happened back there? Start with the part where Jane gets knocked out by a 90-pound girl, because <laughs> I don't think that's ever getting old. Do we know if anyone was killed? It's likely. No, she meant to kill me before the doc put her out, which, how exactly does that work, anyhow? 
a safe word? The people who helped me break River out had intel that River and the other subjects were being embedded with behavioral conditioning. They taught me a safe word in case something happened. I'm not sure I get it. It's a phrase that makes her fall asleep. If I speak the words, it occurs now. Say it. It only works on her, Jane. It's like <laughs> it's funny. It's intense. Mm-hmm. It's dramatic. It 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 is ex- expository. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is such a good dialogue scene. Yeah. You every every character on the crew had a line in there. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. And it all like reflected their character as well as moved the story forward. George, this is how you do it. <laughs> George, George. Yeah, we're. Do you, it's. Again, another one of those things that it's, it's so well done, right? Like it even just opens with like, oh, let's give Wash a joke um, to break the tension. And it sort of breaks it. Even when you're like watching it, you physically see people smile and laugh and then they get into the seriousness of it. And we uh, get to get even more understanding about like River's character and how this dynamic has, has changed. Um, Jane is stupid. <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's so well done, right? Like, and it's so well done, especially after the action of the scene before where you're like, holy crap, what is happening? What is going on? Um, when you don't know, like you're told River can be a weapon, but you don't really see her fight in Firefly. You don't really see that portion of her at all. And suddenly it's like, what is happening? And you are with the cast being like, we need a quiet moment to kind of just adjust. This is like, what Star Wars was missing, like they had, he had his like little quiet scenes, but like I don't know, like the dialogue just didn't like drive the story forward. You're right. It's like a theater production. Yeah, this feels like a movie. Yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> like we see people's backs. Ugh. And, and I, I got more. I got more. You feel to elaborate on what that something might be? And they never said. And you never did ask. <laughs> Eight months. Eight months. You had her on my boat. Knowing full well she could go monkey shit at the wrong word, and you never said. I brought her out here so they couldn't get to her. I don't even know what they. My ship. My crew. You had a goddamn time bomb living with us. Who are we gonna find in there when she wakes up? The girl. Or the weapon. It's good stuff. Yeah. Like, even in the quiet moment, being able to have, like, a moment of so much anger and shouting, but then still bring it back into a restrained tone, but still there's so much anger in it. Um, And even, like, the juxtaposition of both of these men trying to protect their family and feeling like the other man is detrimental to that. I don't know. There's, like, kinetic energy. There's, like, it feels real. Like, you hear... Malcolm could like physically confront Simon. Like, I think he pushes him on the table. You know, it's like, you don't get any scene like that in Star Wars. No. Where there's like, I don't know, there's like an interaction between two characters in a, like a, you know, physical way. And it like physically bleeds into the set. You know what I mean? Like, it makes a, just like you hear like the cups rattle around on the table as they move. It's like something about that makes it feel very uh, tactile. Yeah. When you're watching it. Because it is. Yeah. I mean, they did have a great scene in Star Wars that, like, is kind of like this, which was, um, you know, you're the Sith Lord. A Sith Lord? <laughs> like, legitimately feel like that would have been the moment, right? Where it, where it's just kind of like, oh, we're doing, wait a minute. 
you're the reason this is unsafe. You're the reason, but it's just like Sith. You're a Sith. You're the Sith Lord. Like, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. You just don't get the same tactile feeling watching Star no. Wars. And it's because it's not on a real set, but <laughs> on top of a bunch of other things. So at this point, they're trying to figure a bunch of stuff out. Jane is very much like, why are they on our boat? Why didn't we just leave them? Why did we bring them back? Very good, important questions, Jane. Very good, important questions. But um, we are going, they're going to go to one of their, their bolt holes, one of the places they go to hide to like figure stuff out. And that is where we meet another of the original cast. Booker, Shepherd Book. Shepherd no, Book. Shepherd Book. Booker Catch, Shepherd Book. <laughs> you got a plan? Hiding in a plan? We'll do you for a spell. You folks here will be glad of the extra coin. But the Alliance will be coming. And they're after this girl with a powerful will. But do you hear the trump of their boots any moment? You won't. This isn't a palms up military run now. No reports, Broadway. No warrants. Much as they want her, they want her hit. That means closed file. Means an operative. It is trouble you've not known. So Shepard Book was a character. He was on the main cast for the show. Mm -hmm. And he, he was present most of the show. Yeah. Like on the ship. Yep. I don't know. Maybe this was just because there's just too many characters or uh, maybe it was something to do with the actor. Um, but Shepard Book only has a few scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of nice to see him. Like, you don't think you're going to see him because he's not present yeah. for the first act of the film. And then, like, he shows up and it's like, oh, Shepard, you're here. And everyone greets him. And hugs yeah. him. He's leading some kind of colony out in the desert somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, so he's Shepard. We call him Shepard because he's a priest, like a preacher. Yeah. Like, that's what they call preachers in this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he's a man of faith. The cloth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he's like leading a, you know, a, a small colony. Mm -hmm. They got like an oil derrick up. So, you know. Yeah. Just... And everybody there welcomes the crew in. Like this is a second home. Yeah. This them. is the like, place oh, they hide out. Yeah. And um, it, it, sort, it definitely sort of goes into this in the show, but it doesn't like fully go into that. Like Shepard wasn't always a shepherd, right? That he was alliance and military and probably pretty high. So he's the best way to get the information um, about this, right? Where it's just like, yo, she went crazy. I haven't heard about like there's uh, there's no news and nothing with her face plastered over it for her to find her, which means this and this and this. And we get to hear the word operative. Right. And so they know they're being hunted by an operative, yeah. which is the one we met earlier. Yes. Um, I want to use at this point transition and we, we keep talking about the story, but I want to transition in the characters of Malcolm Reynolds mm -hmm. because one, I'm going to continue this conversation. Shepard book has his conversation with Malcolm here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's during the nighttime. They're at a campfire. It's like a campfire scene. I love campfire scenes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I could probably, you know, list out my favorite movie campfire scenes. Hey, <laughs> um, but it reveals a lot about, uh, Malcolm's character because Shepard's like this wise sage mm -hmm. who is like kind of like revealing things to Malcolm or making things known about him, you know, covering the hard truths. Right. I want to. So as we move forward, I want to focus on Malcolm's character mm -hmm. because he's probably the best written character in the whole movie. Mm -hmm. He's the one who gets the most time. Yeah. And the most investment in his arc. Mm -hmm. He has an arc. All the other characters are fun and well, you know, well written and great, but they don't have quite the arc that yeah. Malcolm has. Yeah. And I want to use that as to compare to the operative who is so similar to Mel, but mm -hmm. also so different. So, you know, I want to kind of 
Yeah. Focused on the juxtaposition there. Let's hear from Shepard Book. All right. I could have left her there. I had no. Harold, I had every reason in the verse to leave her lay and haul anchor. It's not your way, Mal. I have a way. That better than a plan? Only one thing's gonna walk you through this, Mal. Belief. That's like one of the themes of the movie right there. Belief. Yeah. Belief in what? Whatever you need to to get through it. I don't know if I got that clip because he goes like, oh, you know, I don't believe in, you know, God mm -hmm. anymore, Shepard. He's like, I didn't say I believe in God. Yeah. I think I think I have that. Hold on. You know, I always look to you for counsel, but sermons make me sleepy, Shepard. I ain't looking for help from on high. That's a long wait for a train. Don't come. When I talk about belief, why do you always assume I'm talking about God? They'll come at you sideways. It's how they think. It's how they move. Sidle up and smile. Hit you where you're weak. The sort of man they're like to send believes hard. Kills and never asks why. It's of interest to me how much you seem to know about that world. Wasn't born a shepherd, man. You have to tell me about that sometime. So good. <laughs> it is so good. It's just so engaging. It's so good. It's so engaging. And it is like you, you're sitting here and you're like, you do need to tell us about that sometime. Like, you know a lot. Like, that's kind of terrifying when they come at you sideways. They're going to cry. Like, I want to hear more about these. I want to hear more about this old man. Yeah. And so you get really invested in this. And you're like, let's come back to this. I, I Watch the movie. Watch the movie. Um. <laughs> Comparing back, going back to Star Wars, it's like, remember what we said? Like Yoda's stupid. Like yes. Yoda look is made to look the fool because he can't clearly see that Anakin's disturbed. Yeah. Like Shepard knows exactly what Mal's problem is, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, he's a wise old man who knows he can't, ch he can't get this young man to change unless mm -hmm. the young man wants to change. Yeah. So all he can do is like provide wisdom. Mm -hmm. Direction. Hope you take it. Yeah. And, and, you know, like speak the truth, you know, uh, love yeah <laughs> <laughs> but also you know just sternness it's like and i'm like this is this is how a jedi is supposed to act yeah shepherd book is a better shepherd. jedi than yoda was hi i need art hi i need i need shepherd book as jedi art please <laughs> thank you literally like i'm, I'm remember we said how do we fix the, the 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 prequel trilogy yeah make jedis less like weird celibate monks make them more like shepherd book yeah. Who's like worldly in season, but also a, you know, abstinent monk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is abstinent. You know how we know that? Because anytime somebody is like, okay, grandpa, I never, I never married. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so well written. But anyway, he, he also, he lays out a theme there. And it also the, the crucial difference between Malcolm Reynolds and the operative. He's mm -hmm. like, he's like, you know, these operatives, they believe hard. Right. Mm -hmm. They have a conviction, like you said. Yeah. Like this guy will pursue you unrelentingly. Mm -hmm. He will sacrifice like lives and, uh, you know, systems to yeah. get to what he wants. He like, that's how one... much he believes in the cause. Yeah. He has one task to complete. You are that task and it doesn't matter what it takes. Yeah. So you need you, Malcolm, need something equally. You need to believe in something equally as strong. So mm -hmm. it's like that. That is the hook yeah. for Malcolm's arc. It's like. He needs to find out what he believes in. Mm -hmm. If it's not God, then what the heck is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that, we can talk about Malcolm Reynolds and the operative a little bit. Oh, we can. Um, they meet for the first time. 
very soon after this because he indeed comes for him sideways and goes to trap him into visiting Anara. Who I, I have Anara's intro. I guess I could play that. Anara. I, uh, is this a bad time? No, it's good as any. How's your world? Cold. It's autumn here. Still at the training house. So, what occasions the wave? Not that to see you ain't... Well, you look very fine. <laughs> oh, thank you. Anara is... Uh, she's, she was also a member of the main cast yeah. on, on the show uh, here. She's uh, kind of a secondary character, honestly. Yeah, she doesn't do too much. She's got some stuff, but she doesn't do too much. Background, she's a companion mm-hmm. in this world, meaning she's a she's a mix between like a like a... An escort prostitute and a... Like a Buddhist monk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like some weird spiritual energy going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, a, it's both a religious thing and a sex work thing. It's very close to geishaism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, geisha, I think that would be the best thing. She's a geisha. So in the movie, she's at the training house training, <laughs> I guess. Where they train more companions, yes. Got it. <laughs> oh, she's like an instructor. Yes. Got it. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so you could hear even from that clip, there's some tension between Malcolm and, and Inara. Like, there's a will they, won't they thing going on. Gosh, it's so, it's so really cool. Like, I know probably they were, like, in the same room exchanging lines, but the idea that's, like, you can feel how awkward this is because, like, they're great actors and also the chemistry is just so on or, like, and Nathan Fillion's yeah. just uh, uh, shirtless <laughs> in this scene. It's very <laughs> awkward. Oh, is this a bad time? No, no, it was great. It was fine. That's that's Wash's fault. He'd be like, "You have a wave, click." <laughs> um. So what the way they learn from this phone call from Anara? She says, "Oh, can you come visit me for some reason?" Yeah. Uh, they're oh, it's a trap. Yeah. Got it. It's a trap. Yeah. Makes sense. Easy. Yeah. It's a trap. So they know that the operative has laid a trap for them at Anara's home planet. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get the confrontation. Yes. You alluded to. I think you're beginning to understand how dangerous River Tam is. She is a might unpredictable. Mood swings of a sort. It's worse than you know. It usually is. That girl will rain destruction down on you and your ship. She is an albatross, Captain. The way I remember it, albatross was a ship's good luck till some idiot killed it. Yes, I've read a poem. Try not to faint. So it's like also it, it revealing more about Malcolm's character. It's like mm-hmm. he's not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he's well read. And I think it's actually really interesting listening to it flat. The like Malcolm is such a specific character. But this is the first time you see him interact with somebody he's never met before. Oh, like, yeah. Because everyone else is like we have a business relationship or you are crew or you are whatever. And so the, the like still like quippy sort of jokey but the the caution in how he's like feeling out this this in this thing and whereas the operative is so assured because like yeah this is what i do kind of thing so it it's interesting and it's it's so cool that like when the operative is like he's a cool customer Mm -hmm. like and they think that's like one of the things that makes him super intimidating it's like he never like overreacts Mm -hmm. you know so he's never on the back foot yeah and you can tell that like with Malcolm in that moment where Malcolm like corrects him on the rhyme of the ancient mariner, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
he he's taken aback a little bit, like surprised. It's like, oh, you're an e- you're my equal. Mm-hmm. You know, like how interesting. I I, I took you for a simpleton, mm-hmm. but you are you know you you do know some stuff, something. Yeah. <laughs> so he's almost like intrigued by mm-hmm. Malcolm there, you know, but he's not he's not intimidated yet. Yeah. And and the this scene can progresses awesomely. Yeah. No, no, you're working this deal all crabbed. You got to open with payment. That is a trap. I offer money, you'll play the man of honor and take umbrage. I ask you to do what is right, you'll play the brigand. I have no stomach for games. I already know you will not see reason. The Alliance wanted to show me reason. They shouldn't have sent an assassin. I have a warship in deep orbit, Captain. We locked onto Serenity's pulse beacon the moment you hit Atmo. I can speak a word and send a missile to that exact location inside of three minutes. You do that. You'd best make peace with your dear and fluffy lord. And why did why did he say that at the end? Because he had the pulse beacon. In and his pocket. <laughs> yep. It's in the room with us. I like listening to it without watching it. It's just like these men are playing chess. They're playing chess. They're playing chess. It's 4D and they are like going after rooks and knights trying to get to that queen. Ugh. It's like you could tell the operator's done his homework. He's like, I know exactly how you operate, Mr. Mm-hmm. Reynolds. You will, if if I offer you money, here's how you'll respond. If you if if I ask you to be honorable, here's how you'll respond. So it's like, none of that's gonna work. I've got you in check, you know, check, sir. I've got a you know, a ship on in deep orbit who's gonna blast you. Yeah. Blast your pulse beacon. Pew pew. Like And then and Malcolm's like, checkmate, brother. <laughs> Make peace with your dear and fluffy lord. I think, like, one of the things that is so good about this scene is that if I was just reading this, if I was reading it in a book, in a book or on the page, or as having a conversation uh, with somebody that went like this, I'd be, I'd find it so annoying. Where it's just like, well, I'm going to do this. Actually, um, actually, I know if I say that, you're going to do this. Uh, okay, well, uh, and then this. Well, um, actually, uh, we're going to blow you out of sky. Um, well, actually, I have it here. Like, it, like, but it works. It works so well. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like these men are playing chess, not these men are one-upping each other. Yeah, it, it, one, it's the performances. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, that is a testament to these two actors second i think another thing is like they're still real they make mistakes they're human beings Mm -hmm. so i think like even though malcolm reynolds got the one up in this exchange here you know it it shows the operatives human being who makes mistakes and miss you know he he doesn't make the right calls every time Mm -hmm. you know he's not infallible like freaking emperor palpatine who somehow pulled off like (laughs) decades long plan you know without a single error everything worked out perfectly for him and so much so that he came back in the Trequel. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like fifty years of planning. Ugh. Um, in this, you see both guys like, you know, I don't know. It's just, yeah, there's like, a reality to it. We came prepared and whatnot, and then like, even though at the end of this exchange, Mal is the one on top. That's like, yeah, but I, I am the checkmate. You're like, oh wow, he's really handling this. But when it comes to like a physical altercation, there is like no competition. And I think it's interesting to be able to see that like uh, this, there is more than one way to engage in battle and you will not always win against an opponent in, this, in different ways, you know? Yeah. That sounded weird, but that made sense. 
I think so. Okay. And another thing about this exchange here at the end, I think it also reveals like their code of ethics. Like we talked about the operatives. Mm -hmm. Like this guy, he's he's a guy who's gonna like, if he needs to punish you, he's gonna make you fall on his sword. He's gonna tell you, no, this is good. This is an honorable death. Like you're, you know, this is this is how a man of honor conducts his business, mm -hmm. right? Malcolm Reynolds has his own code of conduct. Yeah. Like in the operatives' eyes, Malcolm Reynolds is not an honorable man. He mm -hmm. does not kill honorably. Right. So here, here's an example of that. Pulse beacon. Advice from an old tracker. You want to find someone? Use your eyes. How long do you think you can really run from us? I never credited the Alliance with an overabundance of brains, and if you're the best they've got... Captain Reynolds, I should tell you so that you don't waste your time. You can't make me angry. Please spend an hour with him. <laughs> I want to resolve this like civilized men. I'm not threatening you. I'm unarmed. Good. Freaking shoots him right there. <laughs> I'm unarmed. Good. <laughs> and luckily, he's you know he's wearing body armor. So. Luckily, <laughs> yeah, was, that's right. We're rooting I was like, for him. one Malcolm aim for the head. What's your problem? That's true. <laughs> it's like you're you're better than that. <laughs> Two, like that shows the difference between these man's like you know code of conduct, mm -hmm. right? Malcolm is willing to like just shoot a man point blank mm -hmm. if he knows he's got the upper hand, yeah. right? In the operative's head, that's not the honorable way to do things. Yeah. But it's inversed later where it's like, Malcolm, he's going to, he'll shoot you in the face, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, he for him, there's no honor in shooting a man in the back. Mm -hmm. You got to face a man, you know, face him face to face and shoot him, right? Later in the movie, when the crew has made the operative angry, they mm -hmm. got him on the back foot and they're making him, putting him on the defense. Yeah. They have a final confrontation at the end of the movie, which we don't want to spoil too much about yeah. the end of the movie, but I have this clip and I think it's important. Mm -hmm. The operative shoots Mal in the back. Mm. He shot me in the back. I haven't made you angry, have I? There are a lot of innocent people in the air being killed right now. You have no idea how true that is. I know the secret. The truth that burned up Riverton's brain. Rest of the verse is gonna know it too. Cause they need to. Do you really believe that? I do. You're willing to die for that belief? I am. Hey, and there's the culmination of his arc too. He yeah. he found something to believe in. Something he's willing to die for. A belief he's willing to die for. Yeah. And it was a journey to get there. And I was like, I like that it happens here at the end with that revelation. That's mm -hmm. when the operative shows that even even in comparison to Malcolm, he's not he he doesn't match the like you know the honor that Mal has. You know, mm -hmm. it's like there's there's an honor in facing a man and shooting him rather than shooting him in the back. Yeah, I don't, this is a this is a really good freaking scene right there. <laughs> it is the whole movie is so good. I it's. I, yeah, I don't want to spoil other things. I'm not going to say like the different ways that the the operative and Mal's crew connect and clash in the movie. I definitely I'm not going to go over it. It's so good and so important, and it especially can be considering it pushes Mal to that arc, to that place of realization. Um, and watch the movie. Watch the movie. Kids. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. Kids. <laughs> watch the movie. You want to see these two actors just you know act. Just. Act in, act in their butts off. They're all, their butts fall off. They act so good. Last thing I know you wanted to talk about, was, which is like the, the theme revealed by the, uh, like the, the, the dirty secret of the Alliance. Like mm -hmm. why River is the way she is. Like what's, what's, the, 
What's the big mystery of the movie? So what what yeah what what happens? How do they how do they come across this this answer? Sleuthing and tracking. Basically, when uh, River flips out in the bar, she says a word, and they find out that that word is the name of a planet that is not on any scans, and they go to the planet to yeah. see just what the operative is trying to silence them for. What's on this planet? What is this planet? Miranda. Um, on this planet, there are cities and homes and buildings, and it is completely terraformed and perfect for living. It's like a utopia on, yeah, it's like a beautiful, uh, looks like a, like a, a Google complex. Yeah, 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 yeah. Google campus, <laughs> the planet. Um, but it's empty. There are well, no people there. It's, it's not empty. It's not alive. Yeah. Um. There's evidence that human beings operated there. Because all their dead bot, like their skeletons, are just like mid decomposing, just chilling. Yeah, like chilling in places. Yeah, like you know, mid people just died mid action. Yeah, apparently. you know, they just like so it's just like skeletons, just yeah. And they um follow a beacon to a, a stress beacon, and they find out the true secret that she has had in her the whole time. Did I want to talk about this? Yeah, I'm gonna play it. Okay. These are just a few of the images we've recorded. And you can see, it isn't what we thought. There's been no war here, and no terraforming event. The environment is stable. It's the PAX. The G23 Paxilon hydrochloride that we added to the air processors. It was supposed to calm the population, weed out aggression. Well, it works. The people here stop fighting. And then they stopped everything else. They stopped going to work. They stopped breathing, talking, eating. There's 30 million people here and they all just let themselves die. So that's the big secret. This, this, the Alliance was trying to pacify their population with this air packs. Yep. And it just created like, you know, they, they, I think the, the expectation was we're going to make, make perfect compliant worker drones that yeah. will, you know, exist. and People that we lead that we don't have to worry about rebellions and, and whatnot. But, like, it, but it pacified them so well that they were like, well, we just don't want to do anything. We're just going to die. We're just going to lay down and that's it. Because you mentioned you wanted to talk about like the kind of the political themes or the social themes present in the movie because the alliance is sort of like, you know, like an evil dictatorship, but like, you know, secretly. Trying to remember why I wanted to say that. <laughs> as long as we don't give the the other twist. I'm oh good. yeah, no, no, yeah. no, yeah. Okay, okay, that's why I was worried. It's like, what are we doing? Spoilers. Oh no, no, yeah. I, that, that's the only clip I'll play. But yeah, uh, as you think about it, I will say I was wh while we were watching it this last time. Uh, that dialogue reminded me of an experiment that actually happened. Uh, so I looked it up, and I'm just going to read the Wikipedia, mm. um, for the first paragraph of this. Uh, article it's for the article for a behavioral sink behavioral sink is a term invented by ethologist john b calhoun to describe a collapse in behavior which can result from overcrowding the term and concept derived from a series of overpopulation experiments calhoun uh, conducted on norway rats between 1958 and 1962 in the experiments calhoun and his researchers created a series of rat utopias mm. 
enclosed spaces in which rats were given unlimited access to food, water, enabling unfettered population growth. Mm -hmm. And they found that when you give rats a utopia to live in with unlimited food and space, they just overpopulate and then they just go crazy Mm. (laughs) where some rats became like so dependent on other rats to like operate. They would only eat when other rats were around, you know, so like all these rats are like congregated into one space Mm -hmm. and they can't move because there's too many Mm. bodies to actually eat. So, you know, they end up eating each other. Yeah. (laughs) Or other rats became so secluded, they would only eat and function when no rats were around. So like there were like rats would hoard, Mm -hmm. they'd get super fat, Mm -hmm. you know, like they'd stop breeding, they'd stop, you know. Yeah. uh, Rats couldn't carry their babies to term. It was like, when so you know people try to use this experiment as like this is what happens when you try to create a perfect society okay you know so like this is Ugh. what human be- this is what happens to a human being which i think there's there's a fallacy in trying to uh take evolutionary evolutionary psychology and apply it to human beings mm-hmm. uh because psychology isn't that clear cut yeah like evolutionary just- evolutionary psychology is just one aspect of human psychology right but the point being i think that's what this scene in the movie is drawing from where it's like the alliance tried to create a, sh- a perfect society with mm-hmm. a perfect populace that were given everything they could ever wanted but they were perfectly compliant it ends up creating a horrible uh you know existence where these people they're there's it's it's so perfect and unchallenging yeah that they just let themselves die yeah or they go insane and it can and it isn't even like that it's like the society was perfect it's literally chemicals pushed into the air it's literally chemicals pushed into the air. Um, I think that like this this reminds me. I was uh, at a friend's and I was looking at. I was on Instagram or TikTok and there was a a like I think it was Instagram a news reel. Like it was like a five minute long news thing that I watched that was about uh, a daycare, like a preschool age daycare, um, where in one of the teachers in the class was putting calming patches on the children all day literally laced with stuff right and some of it's like essential oils i didn't look up what it was cbd but it it was stuff to like and these kids are five or less and without their parents consent or knowledge would um before pickup time would be taking all the stickers off would put them under shirts or like on on, like backs or on arms where like sleeves would cover them and then take them off and this was going on for months and it only was found out because uh, a parent happened to come for an early pickup and like saw stickers on the kids and like was taking them off and was like, how often does this happen? And it's this kind of thing where it's like, it'll just make my job easier of being in control of running, of running this, of being the official, if you could just chill dude. And I think that that's the thing that I wanted to talk about. Like the, the, willingness of this government and other governments and other people in leadership uh in whatever facet it it might be to take away agency so that they could live a better life it's like an extra like an extra exercise of control yeah i don't know if joss was like drawing from this but this is the area the era of the patriot act Mm -hmm. patriot act still exists just saying like it was a brand new thing at this point where Mm -hmm. it's like the government in an effort to curb terrorism, uh, was basically like taking away privacy that we had before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's an extra layer of control and uh, 
invasion of privacy. So, it, I, I, yeah, I don't know if this is necessarily a comment on that, but mm -hmm. it seems relevant. And I think it, 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 it does seem relevant. I think it's interesting to be able to, like, even bringing up the Patriot app, the government pushed for that, but there were a lot of people behind that for whatever reason. I think that even in this world where, like, people live in the alliance um, that is prosperous and they're, like, richer and they're better off, but there are uh, other worlds. They call them, like, the edge worlds or... or planets or something like that i can't think of exactly what the, the outer is. rim yeah yeah something like that um but like this kind of like oh i i've bought into this right like even like talking through all this that this all ties in even just to what is happening and what has happened to river river didn't get like taken off of a street her brother is a very smart very talented surgeon with very, very rich parents. Um, there is a, a scene in this movie where uh, Simon is ex extrapolating. was like, I am very bright. I am very smart. I went to college at 12. I graduated as a full-time surgeon at 17. When I say to you, my sister makes me look stupid. I want you to understand what that means. And her parents gave her away to science because that was beneficial to the alliance and she would write letters they'd be like oh that's fine and only her brother was like these are weird this is not how my sister talks what is going on until finally it's he gets something he gets something like this is a cipher this is a code they're hurting us also i would like to say us they didn't say me there are many 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 people guys fan fiction has done right by this genre many people that are not just river that have been taken for this for the betterment of this government agency, this this thing, and even in it, right? Like this government that's like, yeah, that didn't work out so well. Let's hide it. Oh, someone's gonna know? Let's send an assassin who's not gonna ask any questions. Like Or or on the books, this assassin in this entire like mission doesn't exist. Doesn't exist doesn't exist. It will never be written down. It is only spoken about. You had to have been in the room where it happened. Like it's very X-Files. I think that, like, th that's the reason why I was like, yeah, the operative is our main antagonist, but our big bad is the Alliance. Because as a whole, as an entity, it has movement and its arms are many. And it's so scary. Like, it's so scary. As much yeah. as I'm like, I appreciate the operative for his conviction, for his belief, for him... Um, even though he is definitely brainwashed, definitely picked up as a child and put through all of these things, uh, I'm making up lore, but how else would you have made this creature, right? Um, but like his conviction is something that speaks to him and what he's learning, whereas the agent, the, the Alliance has made itself God. Yep. And that's so scary. <laughs> that's so scary. And then let's like just take a minute since we've been and sit right there and I'll tell you how to. Sorry. <laughs> let's take a minute because we have been comparing it to Star Star Wars this whole time. The Republic is not scary. No. I don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, okay, Mr. Plinkett also talked about this in his video. Um, the, the effects of the Clone Wars are like non-existent on Coruscant, the Republic planet. Mm -hmm. You don't see the the, the decay or mm -hmm. the, the, the cost of the war, mm -hmm. the pressure that it's put on its populace in the world these characters live in. Like you, right. there's everyone 
you, you still see just cars flying around, going mm-hmm. about their business. Like everything looks clean and pristine. Um, there's like no stakes, yeah. you know, and like the Republic, like, yeah, all this stuff is just going on in, in some far off Wookiee planet, you know, and it's yeah. like, this, this, this doesn't mean anything. There's no like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like there's really agency or stakes. Yeah. And it almost is like, maybe not necessarily a, a mirror, but I could under, I could understand like if we followed somebody, if, if we followed for a season, someone just living on a core planet in, in the Alliance, that would, it would just be that. It would, oh, sh- cars are flying around. We're doing X, Y, and Z. I'm having trouble with my baby mama. That's it. You know, like. I'm sure those Cl- Clone Wars TV shows probably did that a little bit or uh, some book somewhere. But, mm-hmm. but like, we're talking about the movie. Like, George Lucas didn't put that in his movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's where it, it fails so much. Like, because even, even in Serenity, when they're like, yo, okay, we need to go to a bolt hole. We need to, like, get out of here to regroup. You see what, like, not an alliance plan, but you do see, like... A colony. A colony that is not affected by these people running around, starting bar fights and being bandits. It's just like, yeah, a bandit came into town, but he's also my uncle, so shut up. <laughs> like, you know, where you get to see both sides. And it's still, like, rough, Um you see some flashbacks in the show Firefly, but also uh, a little bit of like, uh, I almost said Summer Lau, uh, River as a kid. And you see the stark difference in the dress, in in the nature around them, in the houses and stuff like and that. But it still feels lived in and they're still discussing stuff, right? Like, oh, we're as, I don't know. I think like I was thinking through it. I was thinking through how like the Republic is so... confusing and ambiguous and does nothing and it's really bland and annoying and boring whereas the alliance is really big and ambiguous and seemingly does nothing but they're such different vibes yes (laughs) and because you see the collateral damage in so many aspects of the world i i i I think summering all this up i'm like man serenity feels like way Serenity feels way more like a Star Wars movie than Revenge of the Sith does. Mm. Other than the icon iconography, yeah, right? and it's maybe some of the characters, right? But like everything about Serenity feels more like 1977 Star Wars mm-hmm. than Revenge of the Sith does. So yeah, watch Serenity. Yeah. I recommend it. A hundred percent. Oh, we are we wrapping up? I think so. We should. Yeah, we should. We've been talking about like that's why I said it was like you yeah. need to give me direction. I will talk about this for four hours. In my in from. From my perspective, Malcolm Reynolds is evil. I mean, <laughs> he did shoot a man point blank. Oh, man. I, more I, than I, once. I captured that clip, too. <laughs> like, he's even conflicted about, like, you know, the 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 life of others versus, like, his need to keep the crew fed. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, I love that clip. Anyway, we watch the movie. There's watch so the much movie. there. <laughs> what do the world think? Well... The parts, what did the w- parts of the world that actually heard about it think? Despite high anticipation, Serenity performed poorly at the box office. Unsurprising. Taking in $10.1 million on its first weekend, spending two weeks in the top 10, and closing on November 17th with a domestic box office gross of only $25.5 million. The film ended up with a worldwide box office take of $40.4 million. And I believe that was roundabouts where its budget was. Hmm. So, not the big blockbuster we were hoping for. Well, I'm I'm sorry to quote this horrible saying, but why would someone buy the cow when you gave away the milk for free? Yes. Despite all that, Serenity was well-received by critics. The San Francisco Chronicle, for example, called it a triumph 
and New York Magazine called it a, quote, whiz-bang of an action movie. Both of those things are correct. I want to hear no bad things. Don't you give me any dissenting opinions. Impressed, Grandpa Ebert said Serenity was, quote, made of dubious but energetic special effects, breathless velocity, much imagination, some sly verbal wit, and a little political satire. Hey, so, you know, he, come on, Gramps. He, he threw a little bit of criticism at the special effects, maybe because he had just seen Star Wars. Fair. And the only good thing he said about Star Wars, I remember, was about the special effects. One particularly notable champion of Serenity was author Orson Scott Card. Oh. A writer of Ender's Game. Yes. He called Serenity, quote, the best science fiction film ever. So that's pretty cool. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. think he said, he's like, I hope my Ender's Game movie is just as good as Serenity. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Sorry. Not everyone was a fan, though. I don't want to hear this. USA Today wrote that, quote, the characters are generally uninteresting and one-dimensional, and the futuristic Western-style plot grows tedious. Okay, I think that you accidentally put a uh, Star Wars uh, <laughs> review in the segment. That was incorrect. I wonder, like, I should look up the, the reviewer of this USA, USA Today uh, And see review. what other wrong things yeah, they've Yeah, I was like, what, el- what else did they review? Did they review Revenge of the Sith? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Serenity won the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, Long Form, the Nebula Award for Best Script, and the Prometheus Special Award. Those are, those are awards. Oh, wow. The film was also named Film of the Year by Film 2005 in Film Focus, and it was determined by SFX Magazine to be the best science fiction movie of all time in 2007. I, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think if I personally think any other science fiction movie beats it at this point. I really do like the first Star Trek reboot. It's good. It's good and has the same kind of energy and better special effects. Will we watch it someday? We'll see. Maybe. What are the legacy of Serenity and Firefly, like the franchise? Oh, uh, right. You're going to tell me that it continued, and so we're going to soon watch more of it. In a way. I don't know about watch. (sighs) A three-issue comic series written by Joss Whedon and Brett Matthews titled Serenity, Those Left Behind was published by Dark Horse Comics in 2005, bridging the gap between the television series and the movie. Okay. So, um, that's cool. Uh, my Christmas is coming up soon. Uh, hey, kids. Our P.O. box number is... <laughs> Though Joss Whedon hoped to produce a sequel or even a trilogy of films, nothing ever materialized. The story of Firefly and Serenity have continued on through various comic series and one-shots, including 2008's Serenity Better Days, 2010's Serenity The Shepherd's Tale, 2014's Serenity Leaves on the Wind, mm. And 2016's Serenity, No Power in the Verse. Are those all books? Those are all either comic, Mm. like short series or one-shot comics. Got it. An ongoing Firefly comic series from Boom Studios launched in 2018. That same year, Titan Books announced that they would begin publishing original canon Firefly novels. Seven books have been published so far. I'm going to get an audiobook today. Today, my guy. Serenity. And the Firefly media franchise overall also spawned action figures, board games, card games, dice games, and tabletop role-playing games. Uh, Can you name some of those CTRPGs, please? Two Firefly video games were also announced, but neither made it to market. (laughs) One has not been uh, canceled officially. Maybe one day. Maybe one day it'll be canceled. (laughs) (laughs) It's vaporware at this point. (laughs) That's all I got. Serenity. Watch it. Watch Firefly. What? What is the Firefly book series again? 
Uh, uh, it's from Titan Books. We'll, we'll get to it later. Okay. We got to do runners up. Yep, that's true. We got to talk about who won. Yes. Um, I wonder who it was. <laughs> Serenity. On the count of three, say Serenity. Serenity. One, two, three, Serenity. Serenity. <laughs> Except for special effects. <laughs> why, why did you sound like you said McCavity? Don't say Serenity in that tone. Serenity. Stop it. <laughs> runners up. Yeah, well, yeah, Serenity's clear winner. Clear winner. We don't even have to talk about it. I'm, we did, but we, d- we don't have to. Um, okay. So. Who's are we doing first? Uh, we're going to do mine because yours is much shorter. Usually we do yours first. Yeah, we should do yours. Again, 2005 is one of the worst years in film. So yeah. I, ha- I have one runner up, but we'll do, we'll do that last. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, worst year in film means it was a good year for me because uh, besides the extremely good movies I like. I like really bad movies. Not mediocre. <laughs> bad. <laughs> so this was a good year for me. Give them to me. So um, you can decide which side these land on. Really, really good or bad. Uh, but one of my first runners up, Constantine. A movie you haven't seen. Ugh, with Keanu. How dare you make that sound? I've scrubbed through it. He's having a keanu sense right now. He is. This is, <laughs> this is not the keanu sense. But that guy's in it. Baby boy, what is this? Shalila Buff. Shalila. Shalila. Shalila's a good name. <laughs> love that movie. Uh, it's not great, uh, but I love it. Uh, also, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came out this year. That's a movie I want to like more. It's it is really good. so. I think it has a lot of the same again ensemble cast, um, a lot of good energy, weird writing. Yeah, and Al- Alan. I almost said Alan. Tudyk. Alan Rickman. Thank you. Other Alan. Alan Rickman. Like those are four things that are excellent. And also we've we've got um, a little Hobbitses, a little Bilbo Hobbits. <laughs> I, I the, I'm sure the book is great. Like I, yeah. I think the, the the things I like about the movie are probably just from the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard it's pretty close to the book. They just leave like a couple of things out. Um, I also watched a lot of Sisterhood of the Traveling Plants. I don't know why. No, it was a mo again ensemble cast and really quite emotional. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, V for Vendetta, excellent movie. And you can't tell me any yeah, different. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> it, it's a really, really good movie. I was like sad that we weren't going to talk about yeah. it, but then I these was like, are all like I'm, you're mentioning all these, and I'm like, man, these this is these are all like middle school movies, you know, like like V for Vendetta. I watch with middle school friends. Yeah, so, yeah. it's so good and gory. Um, also, a movie that you've watched not all the way through and you loved with me. Uh, which is my last runner-up, uh, Little Manhattan. Yeah, didn't like it. <laughs> it's so cute and dramatic. I loved it. Um, and then for you, you only had one runner-up, and I that did. was War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds starring Tom Cruise and Little Girl. <laughs> it was Abigail Breslin. Is that who that was? I have no idea. I've never seen it. it, it that was a movie that like somehow – like I remember seeing it in the theater, and, and then – Leaving the theater and like by the time in the time the movie took to run, it was sunny when we went in and when we came out, it was dusty and foggy <laughs> and windy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but yeah, like my my family got it on DVD and it was just like a movie we watched a lot together. Mm. Like my huh. mom and dad and little sister all liked that movie. That's interesting. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a movie we would all sit together and watch. It, it, it was. I don't know. And, and the movie's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like it. it it's one of it's Steven Spielberg, so it's like the action is kinetic and it like never stops. And, it's, you know, it's it's well made. I heard it's Steven Spielberg's version of Signs. 
I mean, it's not as slow as Signs. Like, mm. it's just, it's more of an action movie. Mm. Like, an on-the-run movie. So, it's, it's pretty good. It's like a disaster movie, almost. Would you say that if you were making a movie night based on movie, uh, your favorite video games and someone said their favorite video game was Last of Us, that this would be a... This is simply... Yeah, this is, this is pretty good, too. Yeah. 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 There's, like... Not, not zombies. It's aliens, but... I just a, a dad and a, a daughter. Yeah, yeah, it's got vibe. It's got the same vibe. Yeah. yeah, especially like towards the middle and the end. It's got that vibe. <laughs> yeah. I believe you. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's runners up. Yeah, it was like one of the the s- slowest years for me ever. You know, yeah. nothing nothing caught my attention out of these these two sci fi movies. Mm-mm. I had all the good movies. And with that, we can wrap up. Tell us some plugs. So, uh, if you like this show. And uh, you want to follow us on the social medias. You can follow us on Twitter and Blue Sky and Instagram at Media Mate Show. I need to create a Blue Sky account. I have so <laughs> many codes. I just haven't done it yet. <laughs> so if you've like looking for us on Blue Sky, I'll, I'll have that created by the time you listen to the show. All right. Uh, we post polls and pictures and clips and other fun things. So if you, if you want to champion Star Wars for whatever reason, you can vote in our poll and tell us that Star Wars is better than Serenity. You shouldn't, but you can absolutely shouldn't you'll be blocked you can buy us a coffee on coffee.com that's ko-fi.com slash media made if you want to support the show financially give us five bucks you can do that we would really appreciate it here's something special star wars episode three revenge of the sith features a 30 minute fight scene in a volcano (laughs) (laughs) way too long to be spending in a volcano way too long but if you like volcanoes and us, yes, we were guests on the Flashback 64 podcast recently where we talked about two 1997, well, actually three, three 1997 volcano movies, yeah. Dante's Peak and Volcano being the big ones. Yes. So we, we talked with our good friends, Gui and McKenna, about volcanoes <laughs> for like two hours. It was something. It was fun. It was fun to yeah, like, a great be uh, on there. Yeah, it was, it was a great, great show. So you should go seek them out and just listen to their show in general. Listen yeah. to Flashback 64. It's great if you like Nintendo 64. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and on Blue Sky at Rod the Master. And you uh, can read my video game stuff uh, at ZeldaDungeon.net. We recently published our best Zelda ever ranking, ranking every Zelda game from worst to best. So if that sounds interesting, check it out. What do you got? Uh, if you would like to find me, I have a YouTube channel I never post to called Taming Tales. Um, also, I just recently started a blog in the last few months, which is uh, where I post the dramatization uh, and novelization of a D&D game that I'm playing with my friends. Uh, we are playing in the world of Ravencloft. Nope, Ravenloft. Uh, though we haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, we are doing level one in Cozy Homeworld, which was built by our DM. It's a, It's been a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to check out uh, that, I post a new chapter every other Tuesday. Uh, and another one, a new one is going up this following Tuesday. So you can check it out next week. That is, uh, the blog is Chaos on the Table at blogspot uh there will be a link in the link tree you can follow it in the show notes uh if you'd like to give it a look it's honestly so much fun uh and i'd I'd love if you gave it a gave it a little read why'd you leave the chaos on the table yeah (laughs) all right that's that we gotta figure out a closing song i was struggling to think of one because there's just nothing that fit as far as like the music from the score goes i have two options tell me them so Serenity and Firefly is a 
space western. So we could go out with space cowboy yippee yay yay mm-hmm. by InSync. Mm-hmm. Or calling back to that cringy uh, promo that Fox put out for Firefly, we can go out with Smash Mouth's Walking on the Sun. No, we're going to go ahead and yippee ki yay this. All right, we're going <laughs> to. We're going to close out with NSYNC. Yippee-ki-yay, yippee-i-yo, yippee-i-yo. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time with our music of 2005. And remember, kids, if you want to be a Sith Lord, that's fine. I'm a Lord of wah-wah-wah-wah-wah. Hopefully you don't cut that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>